Face to face they stand, and the tension is explosive. Listen to Gregory Peck and Robert Mitchum in Cape Fear. I got a little plan for your wife and kid that they're never going to forget. Never. I've seen the worst. The dregs, but you... You are the lowest. Cape Fear, the screen's most suspenseful story of an unspeakable crime and the helpless people it touched with terror. Starring Gregory Peck, Robert Mitchum, Polly Bergen. If you touch me, you'll go back to prison for life. You want to make a little bet on But you will. I'm not like Nancy. I'm not afraid to testify. Believe me. (laughs) Cape Fear, the nightmare that becomes a shocking reality. Cape Fear. Late one tonight. This is a long one. This is a late long one. Um, uh, Blake and I are. Uh, it's a late Saturday night, and uh, since we sometimes work extra hours, we we worked all day at our day jobs on a Saturday. <laughs> so we put in a full day's work, and then we uh, we hightailed it over each other's houses. Uh, cracked open a bucket of pizza. Cracked open a bucket of pizza. A couple s- of mega jolt colas. Yeah, and that just made our teeth sting <laughs> <laughs> from the caffeine and. Ride us out. There is like I am getting to a point where like if you eat something like too sweet, it's like my teeth hurt. It's I, so sweet. It, it's getting to me that that's always happened to me if I had something really sweet. Like I, it's sting and I go <laughs> like, it, like it's like taking a shot of something. I can feel it. Yeah. Deteriorating. <laughs> but but now it's like if in the morning if I get up and I gargle with cold water, like I get a shock from the teeth and it pisses me off that my teeth are like ah. So I try to like push myself. You got to get some of that uh, Sensodyne. Yes, that's what it, it helps that coating. Yeah. Not to plug anything, but what is Sensodyne? <laughs> it's a toothpaste. Oh, man. I know, I know. That's got the, some that, kind of special formula. Then it helps your enamel. Well, they have a Sensodyne makes an enamel toothpaste, but they also have regular, which helps protect your enamel. Which just uh, the teeth just has something that kind of dulls the nerve. Yeah, I mean. that's crazy. It's anyway. like, ah, it's like it's like ice cream headache. Ah, <laughs> my teeth, my teeth, my teeth. So um, here we are again. Welcome to another edition of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Coming to you live to tape yet again. Yet uh, again. Yes, we, we, re- we reconsidered that after last week's faux pas, or two weeks ago, of the uh, sausage curtain. <laughs> 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 Which uh, got a lot of play. I would like that a lot of people were actually tweeting us about that star- legendary Star Trek episode, The Sausage Curtain. So, sausage uh, Curtain. If you don't know what we're talking about, please go back and listen to uh, two weeks ago that we did an uh, episode uh, on The Night Stalker. The Night Stalker. Uh, good old, uh, the, the late, great Dare McGavin. And we're back two weeks later, and we're doing another new one for us. We're doing our first Western. Our first Western. Yeah, yeah. But before, you know, I know... We have a lot to discuss here, but yeah. I need to tell... This is going to be a book turner. I need to recite a quick story Uh-oh. before we get going. Everyone sit back. <laughs> sit back. Take your shoes off. Crack ah. open a beer. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it didn't get a lot of play on our Facebook page when we posted about it, but at Brooklyn Academy of Music is yeah. doing a, Bam. a complete 
Michael Mann retrospective. Amazing. As well as he's going to be there to do like a Q&A or even introduce a, yeah, he a was film or two. He was there last week, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and full disclosure, I'm a fucking huge, yeah. huge Michael Mann fan. Don't ask me why, but I'm a huge, huge fan. <laughs> no, I know he's one of your favorites. I'm not saying disparagingly I think I love him, but you know, I think I love him. <laughs> I think I love him, but I think no, 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 you know. Anyway, I know I know he's one of your favorites, yeah. and uh, I've always been a fan, especially of the the earlier stuff. I'm not. I don't like every one of them. I can't be a guy who's like, "Well, this movie's better." You know, you know, there's some ones that are better than others, and I do yeah. think he lingers around on the same themes. I guess like a lot of directors. But, do, but you being a big Michael Mann fan, myself being a big Michael Mann fan, when we first met, Heat. Was a was a big like this movie it still actually. is tonight we're talking about <coughs> Tombstone <coughs> excuse me but Heat and Tombstone when we first met back in '97 yeah were two movies that were like 60 years ago <coughs> were like linking movies for us yeah yeah you know? yeah like, like cr- you like that too I like that too <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so anyway you so were, but anyway so yeah. t- t- to get to the story rolling somehow there's a Michael Mann movie yes that eluded both of us. Yes, for it, decades. But, well, because I don't even think it was available on VHS. Uh, I think it, it came out on VHS. That quickly went out of print, and then I don't think it ever came on DVD. Maybe, of course. You now know. it's like you can stream it. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, you're right. On Netflix, may yeah. have it. So yeah. we're talking about the Keep. Yes. Oh, uh, like 1980 or 81, it's, maybe. It's right. I don't know if it's quite that early, but it's pretty fucking early. Is it between Thief and Manhunter then? Because Thief it is like be. 80, 81. It might be. So somehow this. But it's such an odd movie, the Keep. It's a horror movie. Yeah. It's got Nazis in it. Well, it's a Nazi horror movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a Nazi horror movie where they're, for people who don't realize, a keep is another word for like a castle. So it's like these, it's like much like uh, Where Eagles Dare, that great Eastwood movie, where yeah. it's like they're stuck, the, the Nazis have a keep in. So we got, Europe. here's all the things, we have, here are all the things that are interesting that we find interesting that are in this movie. Uh, Michael, Michael Mann. Mann. Michael Mann, yeah. <laughs> horror movie. Yep. A, a Nazis. Keep. A keep. A keep. <laughs> Nazis. Yeah. Tangerine Dream you does the sound. You sold me on the keep. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Tangerine Dream. Tangerine Dream does, does the score. Wow. So, you know, you could stream it like on Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever, but I still hadn't done it. So I see that a 35 millimeter print is playing. How could you go wrong? And I'm like, shit, fuck it. I'm going to go see the keep. First time I see the keep is going to be on the big screen. How it was intended, kind of you know beat up '80s print. <laughs> <laughs> so I go I after Brooklyn after work I yeah. truck out to Brooklyn. Well, I, I mean that's a fucking trek. And it seems like I got plenty of time because yeah. I leave work at like seven thirty eight o'clock. Shows that or I leave work at like seven fifteen. Shows at nine thirty. I'm like I got plenty of time. I get out to Brooklyn. I'm like I haven't eaten yet. I go. Now, in that part, that section of Brooklyn, which I don't know all that well, there's like a mall and there's, it's like a lot of chain restaurants. Yeah, pizza places and stuff. So I decide that I'm just going to like run in and go to my first outing to a Buffalo Wild Wings, which is like a chain wings restaurant. Okay. I get in there. There's like a wait. Wait's not too long. And then I order. And then it takes like over a half an hour for you to get my food. Were you standing at the at the till, or they they make you sit down? And they they'll call your name, like no, like I seat. waited, and then they sat me, and then I ordered my food, and then it took like forever. Oh, so it's not like a fast food; it's more you no, sit down. it's like a it's real, like a Chili's or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, it's like a it's like an Applebee's Chili's type thing, but with wings. <laughs> Go figure. So now my food show starts at nine thirty. 
it's after nine o'clock and my food hasn't come yet. Oh, for fuck's sake. So finally my food gets there. I scarfed down the salad. All I got was a salad. I don't know why it took so long to make a salad. <laughs> you didn't even go there for their signature <laughs> buffalo wings. It had some chicken on it. Yeah, but, yeah. but it wasn't like you got some greasy freaking. Well, I was, yeah. I was know. like, I don't know. I'm going to a movie after this. You know, <laughs> what if I, I'm going to get all like greasy and what if it makes my stomach hurt? Yeah, and, and then you got you got the grease. You can never get them out of your fingernails. I don't have to get up and use the can in the middle of the movie. Yeah. So I just went. Never seen it. So I finally eat my salad. It's like 9.15. Yeah. I scarf it down. As my salad arrives, I'm like, get me, just give me the check. Yeah. Pay the check. Eat. I run out. Get to the movie theater at like 9.25. Run in. Go up. Fucking packed. Oh, And it's not assigned seating. No. It's, it's no, first it's come, first serve. First come, first serve. And the way the theater, that particular Is that, that screen, small one with the freaking, it's almost like a... There's a rake in it. It's a it's half decent size, this particular screen. Yeah. There's there's varying sizes of screens in this theater, um, in the complex. But the one where it is, I, they must have converted... It was like an old opera house or yeah, something. Yeah, is so it the one that looks like it's the mezzanine? Yeah, like there's like weird arches Yeah, and it shit. looks like it used to be the top. And then yeah. that's the, they've converted that so like it's slow. It looks bigger than it actually but is. But the way it is, uh, and and I don't mind the theater. I've seen a lot of great things in that theater. I saw In the Mouth of Madness in that theater. Yeah, uh, I've seen a lot of great stuff in that theater. And I usually don't mind it, but the way that theater's set up is it's like biased to one side. Like if you sat, if you're facing the screen and you sat to like the left of the screen, screen left, you're much. Closer to the center than if you sat to screen right. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's not even. Yeah. So I'm stuck fucking way out, second to last row, seat, last seat to the right. <laughs> so I'm looking at, I'm watching the movie. <laughs> at a fucking angle. You know, like, uh, if you're looking at the movie and that's like 12 o'clock. Yeah. You know, my view is like 10 o'clock. I'm like, look at <laughs> But at least it's not one of those ones you're you're, you're front row where you're looking up. You're just yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to watch this movie like fucking sideways, and, and that makes you look at the person next to you. Well, yeah, and it's just like I don't know. It's a weird angle. And yeah. then of course, what you complain about, what you complained about uh, during the Halloween season, whatever movie you were t- we were talking House about, of Wax, House of Wax. Yeah, I, I was fucking double got, feature. House of Wax into the return. Two guys feature. behind me. Yeah, you would have thought we were watching Caddyshack or something. Oh, like, I understand that it's it's very dated, yeah. and it's a little melodramatic in some of the performances. But, but so so I, I get that it's not like I I guess I can understand why somebody would find it funny. But no, because like, why come here? Yeah, that's like, my contention. Like you're watch, like you're enjoying it for the wrong fucking reasons you're, and you're ruining it for me. You're go- <laughs> it's not like you're like, Hey honey, what do you want to go see tonight? I don't know. Let's look in the paper and see what the local cinema's playing. You're actually seeking out a special screening. So when I, in Halloween, I went and saw a uh, 3d of the house of wax yeah. and return of the creature house of wax luckily was fine. But for the return of the creature, the, the audience was like openly laughing at this stuff. And I'm like, you're here. You're f- you fucking artsy, yeah. fucking trendy. So, oh. so I got these two guys chuckling at everything behind me. Freaking hipsters. And it reminded me. And one thing I will say about the movie is it feels very. The movie itself feels very Italian. Yeah. Like it doesn't feel like Dario Argento uh, directed it. Yeah. But it feels like a movie that Dario Argento would have produced like Demons or it felt a lot like a movie that Michelle Suave 
uh, Michelle Suave directed called The Church, which I love. Oh, yeah, so yeah, like yeah. I was way into it. Yeah, like, that's I'm, a weird movie. The Church. Yeah, I don't know but if it, I really it has like, that feel because yeah. it's got that. It's got that uh, Tangerine Dream score, which is very, uh, which is very similar to what you know Goblin guys were doing yeah. in the eighties. It has that feel. Very hypnotic. So of course, like I'm fucking into it because yeah. that's like that's my bread and butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it reminded me that I saw Argento's Inferno at BAM, and it was a really bad wow. viewing experience. In the so I got like twenty minutes into the movie, and you know what I, I said to myself? I said, you know what? Like I don't want to see this movie for the first time like this. So I got up and I walked out. No. I got like 20 minutes in. I was like, I don't want to see it from this fucking angle. And I don't want to see it with these two schmoes. Did you say anything to him on the way out? No, I just I just got up, walked out. The guy, the uh, even though I have, a band, I have a band membership, so it was half price. But the guy, the manager gave me a movie pass. Did you tell him, you know? He's like, what's wrong? You didn't find seats. I'm like, look, I found a seat, but it's a really bad seat. And there's two guys behind me that are just, I'm like, I just, I don't want to watch this movie like this. <laughs> I was like, this is, had I seen the movie before, I probably would have sat through it. But like, I didn't want my first viewing experience to be tainted by these fucking, like, because who knows, like I watch it today. It's not like it could be 10 years before I watch it again. Yeah. You know, it's not like I'm like, I'm going to go home and watch this one more time, like in a row. So I got up, I fucking walked out. So you got into it and you're like, fuck, (laughs) you know, I was just like, that's the worst because, and because it felt so much like that, like eighties Italian you felt like, like you may like it, and it could. I felt like I could get really fucking yeah. into it. So, were you able to tell it was a Michael Mann movie in the sense of his style, or was it kind of, um, you know, not from what I saw. Yeah, you know, it, it yeah, a little bit. You know, some of the shot choices and and the camera moves, and then of course you get that feeling of the Tangerine Dream stuff. It was more like the setup to yeah. getting to the keep felt more Michael Mann than once we were in the keep, at least for the first 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Of the movie. And who so, else was in that? You said Ian McKellen's in it, I forget. Ian McKellen's oh. in it, and the minute Ian McKellen's like, you know, the credits say like Ian McKellen as Dr. Whatever yeah. his character is, and like the audience laughed, and I was like, that was like the first inkling that this was... Something is bad. <laughs> Something's amiss. Something is amiss. Something's wrong here. Well, what, you know, what is wrong with fucking people? Uh, Gr- Gabriel Byrne. Yeah. Uh, Jürgen Prock now, who's uh, AKA Sutter Kane. Yeah. That's Boots uh, as well. Um, it's got a really great cast. Yeah, and it's just like, why do people fuck around with, like with with? I don't understand. Look, and you know, I don't. I'm sh- we might have people that listen to this show that go to these things and laugh. So it's very, oh, you know, what shame on them. I find it very interesting. Yeah, I, I, one thing I did kind of came away from was like, it's really interesting to see that like somebody obviously can like and appreciate something for opposite reasons than I would. You know, at least like if you look at it that way, it's like an interesting kind yeah, of like social. Why would you social. go seek something out to do that? <laughs> so that's you know? my that's my keep story. That's horrible. I just okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Good night. Yeah, we're calling this one out <laughs> before we've even started. You know, I just I'm getting so sick. I'm getting older. I'm getting so sick of well, people. It's tough because you know, like I didn't even want to go because like I want to see the movie, but I didn't want to check out the Brooklyn after working for ten hours and. But it was like, you know, we've said before, it's like the problem with living in this, there's such great things to do in the city, but it's like, do you have the money or the time to do it? And so like every once in a while I'll be like, something's something's here, like Michael Mann's here, like I got to make an effort to go. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. um, At least he wasn't there for that. You know I mean? I mean, you know, that would suck you. I was contemplating going to see his, uh, his interview or whatever, uh, last, last week, but, uh. 
Yeah, I think because he, 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 he didn't. Open day, they have a new director's cut of Black Hat, his latest movie yeah. that came out last year. and Which I still haven't seen. Yeah, I, I loved it. It was great. It's, uh, it's a great Michael Mann, but it's a lot of, you have to pay I attention. Haven't, I, I'm curious to see it because, you know, I'll give anything a chance, especially yeah. if it's a director that I like a lot. But I have to be honest, like, I'm not the biggest fan of, like, his last yeah. bunch of movies. Like, I really, and it's not, and it's not, I'm not even going to say it's, like, a judgment on the quality of the movie. It's just, like, I totally wasn't into Miami Vice. Yeah. And I didn't love the one uh, with Public Johnny Gammies. Depp and, um, I can't think of any other ones. I haven't seen Collateral since the movie theater. Yeah. Since it was out in theaters. I remember liking it enough. Yeah, it's good. But, um. That's, like, the last movie Tom Cruise was in before he kind of went crazy with <laughs> Oh, you know how he, yeah, yeah. It was. It's like before he jumped on the couch. Yeah, because people, you know, you think about Tom Cruise, like everyone used to love, and then it, I mean, I think he's wrote it out now. He's no longer like that. But there was a while where it's like he, you know, it was when he was making War of the Worlds. He was like kind of yeah. like, what happened to this guy, you know? But uh, and it's a really underrated movie because it's great to see Tom Cruise play a bad guy. And I'm not the biggest Tom Cruise fan, but I thought he does a splendid I don't job. I'm Tom Cruise, you know. And I'm also not a, the biggest Jamie Foxx fan. I liked him in Ray, and but I I loved him in, in this movie too. It was good, you know. So uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I I like I like the realism he puts in a lot of his movies and the, the, the attention to detail. You know, it's a shame our schedules are are so wacky right now because I was like really tempted to be like to you like we should go see Heat. You and I, you and I should. You and I should go see Heat together. My viewing experience <laughs> of Heat is I, uh, which I saw Heat at the movie. I saw I it too out. at the movies, but then I went with a bunch of dudes and uh, the kid driving got us lost going to the theater. I saw it in the theater where we ended up. Remember we saw the remake of Psycho, and I ended up oh, yelling yeah, at those people yeah. like the midnight show, and then I lit a cigarette. After. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I saw it there, but we got lost getting there, and um, the, th- the theater's no longer there. And we got into the movies like after when there when Pacino's crew is on the scene, uh, kind of like um, doing the post mortem on like the armored car robbery yeah, sequence. So yeah. we missed that whole opening of the armored car robbery. So and I was like, oh come on, we're late. I hate we're walking in <laughs> ten minutes. I don't even want to see know, this I don't now. Know, I don't know if it was me or my mom, but growing up, we showed up late to like every movie. Like yeah. there was like, it wasn't until I was in college where I saw like the beginning of some of these movies. Like I missed the. It took like ten years before I saw the first ten minutes of Teen Wolf. Yeah. It took like twenty years before I saw the since I saw the like the beginning of Die Hard. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the Howard the I have a famous story Howard the Duck which I'll save that yeah. story for eventually when we, when we, when we do, the Howard, when the we do Howard the Duck but I missed the first couple of minutes that happened of to me with with uh, yeah. the my most notorious one from childhood I think was Bill and Ted's uh, I always miss the beginning adventure. of movies you always miss the end of movies <laughs> I do miss the end of uh, Return of the Jedi um, yeah second run theater saw that son of a bitch it was still you know it was second run in the sense it was still out but it was at like the smaller cinema and we left early it's, yeah. a, it's a touchy subject. Well, anyway. So anyway, so I, that's horrible. So now you and I are going to have to watch The Keep. Yeah. You know? And it will be not as nearly as a fun as experience. We should just do it on here. All right. Let's do The Keep. I don't Mike, know if anybody I mean, else gives a shit about it. it you know, it's an interesting Michael Mann thing to do because I, I thought our first Michael Mann movie would have been probably Manhunter or I would maybe even Thief. Thief. You or know? Heat. You know, or Heat, but I think people would expect you maybe to do Heat. Not to say, you know, I love Heat. I think yeah, Heat's yeah. like a, a work of art, but... I think Manhunter would be great because I don't think a lot of I people love know. Manhunter. Yeah, no, I think what's his face? Um, uh, what's his name who plays uh, 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 Lecter is better than? Um, oh yeah, Brian Cox. Yeah, Brian Cox is so much better. And I then always, how it's done. I always like Brian Cox. Performance. You know, and it's so creepy. You know. And uh, Tom Noonan in it is so creepy. Yeah, I really like. Him. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, well, I like he too, but yeah, I really Manhunter. like Manhunter. You know, 
And then I watched, I had never seen Red Dragon because I liked Manhunter so much. So I only saw Manhunter, um, I only, I'm sorry, I only saw Red Dragon like two years ago. Yeah. So it's so weird to think that I, you know, I didn't realize freaking Red Dragon come out, came out 2002 or 2001 or maybe even like 1999. So it's so dated now to see it because yeah, it's like, yeah. it's Harvey Keitel, like still jacked and built, <laughs> you know, all this when weird I, uh, stuff. And it's like, so, you know, it's so dated. It's like, wow. When I taught the, uh, the horror class. Yeah. Uh, I used to teach a class in the history of horror movies. Oh, hey, welcome to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. <laughs> I'm Dion Bayer. That's Jay Blake. Jay Blake. Yeah. Hey. yeah. I had a student that wanted to write. He loved the books, the Hector yeah. books. And he wanted to write his, like, final paper uh, for, the, for the course on the books. Thomas Harris maybe wrote them? And the movies. You know, the way, you know, when we were talking, that was his paper was like a thesis about the way the books and the movies were different and stuff. Yeah. And uh, he did the paper and I read it and I said, um, he didn't write about Manhunter, he wrote about Red Dragon. I said, you ever see, uh, I said, have you ever seen Manhunter? He's like, yeah, I've, I saw Manhunter. I was like, how come you didn't write that? He's like, I didn't like it. I was like, really? I, I fucking love man. <laughs> Did he say why? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't remember. I mean, this was a number of years ago. But I do. I remember like he didn't like Manhunter, so he just wrote, wrote Silence of the Lambs, and he like yeah. So he wrote it about you know Hannibal, Silence of the Lambs, and I think that was what we were talking about as as of this recording. We were just talking about over the weekend about we missed doing a Super Bowl movie, and I was saying somebody weird wrote uh, Black Sunday, and I think it's Thomas Harris who did. Um, you know, the, the end up doing the Silence of the Lands movies. He wrote the uh, that thriller from the seventies. I'm almost positive. I'm always wrong. <laughs> that could easily be not true. That must be. That could be a lie. But anyway, so yeah, you know, I, it'd be great to do a Michael Mann movie. Maybe we should do The Keep because that's such a weird man movie. And as well, we'll as get to some. Yeah. we've got plenty of movies to get to. But anyway, including this one, we're doing a, our first western. Our first western, which is a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal that we're doing this movie, and it's a big deal that it's our first Western because, um, you know, it's it's interesting. We're still hitting, embarking on new territory. We even say we're genres. doing Tombstone, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, we are doing the 1993's Tombstone, starring everybody in the phone book, <laughs> in, the, in, <laughs> the, in the Hollywood phone book <laughs> of that year. The weirdest cast ever yeah. assembled for a movie. Yeah. But uh, not, not weird in a bad way, no. in my personal opinion. Uh, freaking amazing. But, um, yeah, it's, 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 you know, we haven't, have we done a musical? Maybe we, we did Willy Wonka. Yeah, that's a which musical. Is kind of musical. So, like, you know, you think about all the things, you know, you, th you think, oh, have we done a classic? Yeah, I, well, we haven't done a, a, a straight-up classic, but we did, like, Mad Love, which is an older black-and-white film. And so it's it's interesting when you get it's around to It's funny that you say musical, because one of the things I was going to say is really, you know, we had a text discussion about Westerns uh, a couple of, in was, I guess it was in December. It was after I had seen The Hateful Eight. Yeah. And, uh... Because I, I w the text was I had seen it and I was wondering uh, if you had seen it or you also you also always have friends that see everything that comes out right away and yeah you always kind of give me the tip off as to what they think about it and um, you usually never agree with it you're like okay that's that's if that's the no but it's interesting that's the way I the wind's blowing and like I asked you I said did, did your did your friends see this because I'm curious to see what the you know what other people think of it yeah. because in my like for me it was like I didn't love it. Yeah. You know, I didn't date it by any means. Like, to me, it was like, it was okay. You know, for it was a me, Quentin Tarantino movie. <laughs> yeah, it was like exactly a Quentin Tarantino movie. And, you know, it's like I'm at a time in, I don't know, I'm at a time in my life where, like, I don't know, like, Quentin Tarantino movies are, they're fine, but it's not my thing anymore. Yeah. It was. 
Clearly. You know, like in the 90s, that was like, you know, like if it wasn't for Quentin Tarantino movies, I probably wouldn't know you. you yeah, know? yeah. Like, so I give him all the credit in the world and the respect because like, you know, because things like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and El Mariachi are the reason why I went to film school. Yeah. You know? Not that he had anything to do with El Mariachi, but it was all around that same time. And But it's just like, he, he, you know, it's just that the way he makes a movie and specifically the dialogue, it's just very stylized to him. Yeah. And um, it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just uh, something that it, it's just, it's very particular. Yeah. And it wasn't something that I loved in uh, Hateful Eight, although there was a lot of things about Hateful Eight that I, I liked. Well, so we had this discussion and you were like, and, you know, <laughs> the problem with text and you and and especially because you and I talk via text more than anything else. And yeah. you're probably the only you're probably the person I talk to most via text. Well, that's weird. Um, well, I mean, no, we, we often talked. Uh, it's I always mean, business. It's, it's usually about this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, or I accidentally text you, I love you. And it's like, oh, that's my wife. I love you too. Yeah. Um, and you said something that I, I think via text, and we're both used to it, and we had a discussion about it, was like you said something that could have been like very, con- you know, like aggressive. Yeah. But I didn't really take it that way because I, I you know, I know you, and but it was like, um, you're like, do you even like Westerns? Yeah. <laughs> well, it was the text, and I, and I understood it. And I was like, yeah, I like, I was like, do you mean modern, like more modern Westerns? You're like, other than Tombstone, do you even like Westerns? And um, and my point was only, my, like, the, my point of the answer was only, like, I, I guess I could be labeled a horror fan, mostly because I taught the class and... Um, in college, I got very into horror, but I would say more than horror movies, I like horror filmmakers. Yeah. And for me, it's like, I just love movies and it's like no different. Like, I don't really think of, I, like, I'm not saying I'm right, but I don't really approach movies like via genre other than maybe horror. But I would say that, you know, I probably like more dramas than I like horror movies. (laughs) You know what I mean? But um, it's just that like, I, I, I gravitate towards people like John Carpenter and David Cronenberg and, and Dario Argento. So my, some of my, uh, many of my favorite filmmakers happen to be horror filmmakers. But my point was that like, I do like some Westerns, but I do like some of everything. I always just kind of like the movies I like when I remember back when we were in college, I had a roommate, uh, one of my roommates, Phil, um, he had a, a, a like a video collection. This was predating uh, <laughs> DVDs, and he had like a lot of foreign stuff. And he's like, "Well, you you know." And then Chris was hanging out with us, who was another friend of mine at the time. And uh, Phil was like, "But you don't even you don't really like foreign movies." And Chris kind of jumped to my defense. He's like, "Blake loves likes a lot of foreign movies. I, like he likes." a number of Kung Fu movies. Those are, <laughs> those are foreign movies. He, he likes Dario Argento. That's foreign movies. And that was like, it's like, I do like foreign. I like the foreign movies that I like. And that's kind of the way I feel about Westerns, which was kind of my answer to that. But what's interesting about Westerns is it's thinking about it. And when you, when I say when you brought up musicals it was interesting because I was thinking like Westerns are the only genre that are like, it's, it's a genre that's almost, if not almost exactly uh, reliant on like a certain aesthetic. It's, you know, it's like really 
if you take whatever that story is of whatever Western and you put it in a different time period, it becomes either an action movie or a drama. It's yeah. just, it's because it's set in a very, in a time period that it becomes a Western. And I was like, that's the only genre that's really like that. But then you brought up musicals. It's like, it's true of the musicals too. I mean, that's like the only thing that makes a musical a because musical. Because they break into song. Because you can have a musical comedy, but then you can have a, like a musical tragedy. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's very much, it's like, a, it's a very much an American medium. It's like jazz, I guess, or maybe you can. Well, you know, yeah, because blues. it's very specific. Obviously it's very specific it's, to a particular time in American yeah, history. It's like one of the, one of the, th- the things Americans can coin say, we invented it and this is our product and so much so that, you know, it's been copied and replicated yeah. and it just, it's a glorification of like a, a very, uh, you know, monumentous, uh, period usually taking place, uh, post civil war, like 18, after 1860s like 1900 1910 but then sometimes you get them like either you know 1820s like i think the the reverend it just came out as pre-civil war so like 18 something. yeah but again that see that's also interesting because even though it takes place in a certain particular time the reverend isn't western no you know yeah. doesn't f- even though like well, we one could argue that like hateful eight isn't really a western but if you there's there's an argument there i don't agree with it but the revenant it's like a it's a frontier movie. Yeah, and I know a lot of people consider Dances with Wolves a western, also, but it's kind of not. Yeah. you know, it's it's there's very there's a fine line. Yeah, I mean, there's a really fine line. Like Reverend is pre, you know, uh, like cartridge, so they're still using muskets and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like Last of the Mohegans. Yeah, that's not really a western too. Like from back to Michael Mann. Yeah, back, back to Michael <laughs> Mann. You know, that's that's more like you're saying like a frontier because that's the Revolutionary War. Yeah. So, uh, it, yeah, it's weird. Um, because I remember, in, I've always loved westerns. I remember in college, you never really watched any of that because I yeah. think you were going through the horror period, and then I always said, like, you know, I was, I was, and then jumping I, into the horror thing, and, and you it was also remember you said growing up, you're like, I watched a shitload of westerns. My grandfather up. was very into I'm, westerns. I was saturated with westerns, and then like, when you got out of college, you, I remember you bought the Man with No Name. You, you, I used to say, like, you, I remember you used to say, listen, I know they're good, but I'll get to them at some point, or yeah, I've already yeah. seen them. Then we got out of college, you got the. The, the the you know the man with no name trilogy yeah. and then well, some yeah, other you ones. Had, I mean, you had a lot to do. You know with that. I mean, you you kind of pointed. I think the first thing I saw that really, you know, I've always loved Tombstone. Yeah, and that was like we said, that was one of the the things that kind of it was a connecting thing for us when we first met. Tombstone was something I always li- liked a ton, um, but I think the first one that I saw that really got me going on the Western thing was Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah. And then uh, Rio Bravo, because yeah. I knew that Carpenter was a huge fan of Rio Bravo. Yeah. Which is basically Night of Living Dead or and, uh, uh, Assault on Precinct 15 <laughs> and set up as a Western. And I knew you, you know, and obviously I know that you were always a really big Clint Eastwood fan. And like I said, I watched a lot of the John Wayne Westerns and the, and the Clint Eastwood Westerns with my grandfather. Um, and, you know, Bonanza, like yeah. I watched all, he was like very into that kind of stuff. And so I had seen all those with him growing up and it was almost like they'd all kind of blended into one thing. Um, but I know you were a big proponent of those. And although like uh, to this day, I'm not the biggest outlaw Josie Wales fan. The movie that you really turned me on to was for a few dollars more. Yeah. Because I think I had watched, uh, you know, uh Fistful of Dollars, and I was like, I really like Fistful of Dollars, but you gotta, you gotta watch for a few well, everybody, more. I always feel like, uh, and now to this day, for, for a few dollars more is one of like my favorite movies. I think for I, I always think it get it gets a cheap 
like it gets pushed to the wayside because it's the middle movie. Yeah. And everyone always says like, you know, Fistful of Dollars is so groundbreaking because it, you know, kind of kickstarted the Spaghetti Western and it kickstarted Eastwood's career. And then everyone says like, and then like the Opus is freaking Good, Bad, yeah. and the Ugly. This is so great. And I think those are very, both of those are very good films. I feel sometimes um, uh, Good and Bad and the Ugly, how great it is. It is a little long for me. It's my least you know? favorite of the three. Yeah. And I'm I, not saying I don't like I it. I think but I agree with you too. I mean, th- that said, though, I love Eli Wallach and I yeah, love yeah. Lee Van Cleef in it. But uh, I think the middle one for a few dollars more just it's, it's like it, they're riding off the. The, the comfortability they've gotten with the genre in the second one. So Eastwood is kind of like, you know, yeah. he he's un- understands the character. They, it starts off right with a freaking... Well, you know what it is? And I actually wrote a blog entry on this, and I don't know if it even still exists online somewhere. If it does, maybe we can put a link to it. But um, it was after I had seen a screening of... I had seen, not at the same time, but separate times I had seen screenings of Once Upon a Time in the West and for a few dollars more. And... Both Sergio Leone movies. Yeah, yeah. Everything we're talking about now is Sergio Leone. For a few dollars more is very much like the blueprint for Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah. You think about, uh, and you know, obviously it's spoiler alerts, but you have like the way sound is used from diegetic and non-diegetic with the, with the watch. Yeah. And for a few dollars more, and then the harmonica. Yeah, Charles Bronson's harmonica. And then you have, alt- and you have basically... And at its core, in both, you have a revenge plot. Yeah. Well, that's very much a, uh, I mean, uh, there is, I think, like five or seven basic plots of a Western. You can categorize basically everything into like a revenge plot, like a, like a you know, man versus nature plot or man versus man or, uh, you know, f- frontier conquering, whatever. And it, there's a very simple, so a lot of all these movies you can kind of class. It's, it's almost like Carpenter's, you know, v- uh, horror plot, you know, man yeah. versus himself, man versus you know the unknown or man yeah, versus yeah. nature or monster yeah, yeah. and uh, a western you know has a lot of that and uh i think f- you know for a few dollars more i i think it just got so much going for it it's great uh the bad guy uh i think his name is marie jean marie volonté if i'm saying that right it's amazing and it's funny that like he's the bad guy in the first fistful of dollars but then he's killed he comes back as another bad guy in this one <laughs> great yeah. and it's the same thing with lee van cleef which is not really understood Lee Van Cleef is another bounty hunter in for a few dollars more, and then he comes back as kind of the bad guy in uh, Good and Bad and Ugly, and I can't understand if, if he's supposed to be playing the same character or he's not, or does, does Eastwood and him know each other? Maybe they don't. I don't think they do, but maybe there could be a yeah. contention that they are. And uh, it's just great. And then at the end, it's almost like, too, that they said that, um, I don't know how true this is, but the opening scene for um, uh, Once Upon a Time in the West is they instead of having like uh, Woody Strode and Jack Elam in there, uh, in the um, opening train sequence, they wanted actually to have uh, uh, Eastwood, uh, um, uh, Lee Van Cleef, and um, uh, what's this, the other guy, to, to all be, uh, to play cameos in the beginning, the ones that are waiting at the train station for uh, Charlie oh, yeah, Bronson, yeah. which have been freaking awesome to have Eli Wallach. And, you know, I think one of the other reasons why Once Upon a Time in the West became, like, the first one I jumped off to is because Argento had a, Oh yeah, he he wrote it and he, he had a, a he had a hand in the yeah. writing of it. And so. then also, it's it's amazing because I think it's the only movie that you have Henry Fonda playing a bad guy. And I find that amazing when you like uh, when you cast against type, and you have Henry Fonda like not only playing a bad guy, but he is a fucking badass motherfucker in that yeah, movie. Yeah, he's great. In that. You know, it's it's awesome. It's much like uh, one of my favorite movies, Boys from Brazil, when you have Gregory Peck playing uh, Gregory Peck playing uh, Joseph Mengele, and it's like you have you know freaking Atticus Finch. 
of To Kill a Mockingbird playing like the most evilest Nazi uh, of all freaking time. It's 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 unbelievable. So there is a, a a great series. I mean, it's weird to think that a western at the, at the at, at, there was a time where it was like the most popular genre. And uh, it was such a staple that, you know, maybe even once a week or once a month, there was a new Western coming out. And uh, to the point where, you know, in the 1950s, there was like, you know, almost a dozen like uh, weekly radio and TV series um, about it. And then it kind of died down, I think, with the advent of science, uh, science fiction and then with, uh, you know, kind of like the, the, the Cold War coming on in the late 50s and 60s. And then... Um, I certainly the like it's much like the British invasion of rock and roll giving like blues the kickstart again you have the foreign Italian market really uh and Serge Leone being like the main proponent of that um really being the uh forerunner of having that genre come back in the mid to late 60s and then it riding out in the 70s and then I I think maybe until the early to mid 80s and it kind of died again and then you have Eastwood uh, kind of revitalized. He he did a couple ones in the '80s that were okay or pretty good, and then uh, early '90s he did Unforgiven, which a lot of people think is it's you know it's it's like one of his finest movies. And then after I'd say Unforgiven, you have uh, a, a producer once said to me that like you know a western's a tough sell because a lot of people won't be interested and they don't make westerns anymore, which makes me kind of laugh because. Every couple years, you have a Western, and not only do you have a Western, but it's a freaking really good Western at that. You know, we can yeah. go back to Tombstone, and, you know, we can name every couple of years from Tombstone on to now, where there's like, yeah, there's some pretty good Westerns, yeah. and not only are they good, they're great Westerns that yeah, have come yeah. out. And also, it's funny you say it because I had, uh, maybe someday I'll still do it, but I had this plan where I was going to make, like, I was going to start making, like, really fucking low-budget like sci-fi channel quality, like sci-fi movies. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually met somebody who does that in New York, which is crazy. And the Asylum uh, Films guy? Is it? He's, it's not him, but he makes like low-budget Asylum movies. Yeah. Um, and I went and I talked to him for like two hours about the whole process, and it was really fascinating. And I actually helped him edit one of his movies. I wish I could remember. Because the, t- the, the original title was Earth Killer, and, uh, but I think on like Netflix, it's got a different title. Yeah. It's got the fucking craziest plot for a movie ever, which is like sp- people trapped on a, sp- on a space station with a robotic dinosaur. Awesome. That when it bites you, it like injects nano technology, technology into it and makes you into zombies. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's the craziest plot ever. Yeah. But anyway, so I was talking to him. It's like we're high. <laughs> Ain't that the craziest plot ever, man? It was, it was like if we were high, man. Yeah. Like, come up with crazy. that. Wait, man. Yeah. It's a space station. It's not on technology. We'll eventually get to Tombstone. But it's we're, a space we're, station, yeah. and there's a dinosaur. Yeah. Um, it's a robot, And there's man. zombies, man. Um, but I was talking to him about it. He's like, the only thing you really can't make is, because uh, he sells most of his movies he sells to like Asia. Oh, yeah, overseas and yeah. Eastern Europe. Yeah, that's like where his market is, and it's still a huge, thriving market for a lot of action movies. And that's a big, you know. I think my but, theory is that I think a lot of the reason why you see these big Marvel movies, you know, it's a lot of the plot happens over there. Yeah, yeah. Taiwan, China, Transformers. You see this, and I think it's because they're such huge over there. They want to. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was shot in you know Saigon or whatever. And uh, but he was like the only thing because he's like I, you can't make a western. Because 
you know, nobody else in the world gives a fuck. You know, it's a very American thing, yeah. which very well could be true. I could totally understand it, but it is crazy to think that like some of our greatest Westerns are imports yeah. from uh, from foreign countries. Italy, or ch- Italy, they're Italian movies uh, by way of Spain because they were made in Spain, and it's like. And but then a lot of. Uh, you know, a lot of people then take the template and it's like they make their own. Like there's a couple of great Japanese movies that are, I guess you can call them Westerns. Like, you know, um, what's the, 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 uh, the one that, uh, what's the guy you like? Um, the horror director. Didn't he just do a great, uh, samurai, uh, you know, like a Roman oh, movie. Uh, Takashi Miyake. Yeah. Didn't he just do, and that's kind of a, he also made a way. He also made like a remake of Django. Yeah. You know, as uh, a Western. And I mean, <laughs> e- and you can even call maybe even the, the, uh, the Last Samurai, the Tom Cruise movie, that's kind of a... Well, you know, last, that is like that is the same exact plot as Dances with the Wolves. You know? And so is... Avatar. And so is that. Avatar. You know? So a lot of these movies, like, you know, you could take... But, I mean, you, can, very go, basic you can go back to Kurosawa and say that those samurai movies... I mean, those samurai movies were made into westerns. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, you have... <laughs> Yojimbo turned into Fistful of Dollars, which was actually... Yojimbo's based off of Red Harvest, which is freaking... Uh, Dashiell Hammett. So, uh, the, so but Seven like, Samurai became the Magnificent Seven. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, what's the one that beca- what Rashomon became? Rashomon became. Um, I can't think of the name of it right now. No, uh, it's escaping me. But uh, you know, that's like, you know, it, it, it's, uh, that's kind of my point from before, which is like you can take the. It's like it's the aesthetic, the time period, and like the idea of like six shooters. And, and and horses that makes it a western because you take that same exact plot and you put samurai swords in somebody's yeah, hand and it becomes a samurai yeah movie. it's it's just the set piece it's just change. it's very interesting you know thing. it's also very primal ideas i mean i like you have you know for big western fans you, you start off with you know westerns were one of the earliest forms of you know telling even silent movies or you know it was very easy the bad guy wore the black first movie oh to have like parallel action happening the tra- with editing, great train robbery. The great train robbery, which people will see shots of at the at in the beginning of Tombstone. Yeah, uh, the last shot you see in the Robert Mitchum opening narration, as well as you see that at the very last shot of uh, before the credits of Goodfellas, you see uh, um, Joe Pesci parodies that where he takes his gun out and he shoots it at the camera before yeah. you have the uh, the uh, what's his face's cover of. Um, Sid Vicious's cover of oh, My yeah. Way. Uh, but so you have Western start out where it's very much like, you know, a uh, clean cut where the, the bad guy wears black, the, the good guy wears white. And then you get into the to, to, to the John Ford movies and, and John Ford with John Wayne. You know, he he very much opens up the, the, the landscape and shows you the beauty of like, you know, uh, uh, Monument Valley and all that and, and the, the epicness of them. And he kind of takes them out of. The uh, you know it's not so clear cut, and then you get into the fifties. Well, and it's you also interesting because you're looking at a t- like even like the end narration oh. of Tombstone with Mitchum again, where it's like you know, well, the, all these people were dying at the in the in the well, 20s, yeah, but it's like you know, like these people that were part of this generation of like what now seems like centuries ago, ago we're still yeah we're still alive, alive. wider like those two i can't remember it's tom mix <laughs> yeah the, the, the silent actor tom mix who was a legendary uh silent uh western star he was the paul barrett uh wider funeral it's much like and wider loved westerns yeah and he wanted 
We can get into it as we go. But he wanted someone to make a Western. Like a, okay a, defi- a definitive version of that. Like he was working you know? on it. It's like for sci-fi fans, you forget like, you know, H.G. Wells, who made some of the best. <coughs> uh, you know, he was alive when Jules Verne was alive, and Jules Verne was knocking H.G. Wells saying he's making crap. And then H.G. Wells is still alive when freaking Orson Wells is, you know, <laughs> making the War of the Worlds parody on radio. Yeah, so it's yeah. like you think that these people were even like, you know, Sir Arthur, Arthur Conan Doyle still around. In like the twenties, and it's like you know that he's battling Houdini about you know cultism versus yeah. real, or even like that Nosferatu is Dracula, but they couldn't call it Dracula because Bram Stoker had a cat, so, his wife, the widow, yeah, had like, like a, it was a, like season disorder. Yeah, it was like he had not died that long ago. Uh, so then, then Western revolves in the fifties. You get a great uh, director. It's funny we're talking about Michael Mann named Anthony Mann, and he does this great series of movies with Jimmy Stewart. And Jimmy Stewart, had, you know, before World War II, he was like, you know, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, or uh, it's it's a Wonderful Life, where he's the young man, you know, uh, trying to right wrongs, and then he goes off to war. He's actually in the war. He does some Frank Capra movies, but he's actually he's like a bomber pilot. You know, he's he's dropping bombs in in, in uh, B fifty twos or Super Fortresses B twenty nines. I mean, over Europe. He comes back and he does this series of westerns with Anthony Mann, and they uh, show uh, the psychological a- aspect of westerns we're talking about here. Like, you know, you wrong me, or it's a revenge plot. It's yeah, like yeah. very much the psychological, which he didn't have before. And it also, for Jimmy Stewart fans, shows that he's grown up and he's taking on these things. And then that's a, a very big high point for western fans. And then in the, the 60s and 70s with Sergio Leone, he gets into the grittiness of it. And it's not, yeah. you know, the, which I think plays well, oh, great in, like, say, a movie like Open Range, where, you know, it wasn't, it was disgustingly dirty. I mean, you're walking around in, like, you know, f- six inches to a foot of mud all the time. And I think, remember in Open Range when they're trying to cross the street during the storm and they're yeah. trying to put that piece of wood out and the wood floats away and they're like, ah, oh, fuck, you know, it's like, that's how it was. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. wasn't all just, like, guys in white who, you know, look like there was any dirt on him so it's just like it that's the romanticism of it yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's great to see how the, the the genre evolves so you have a movie like this tombstone which i think like came out of right field for me uh i remember it came i didn't see it in the theater i, I saw it, it the on pay-per-view well when was unforgiven unforgiven i think is 92 maybe so i mean it was like it's around that time was an upswing yeah eastwood because of unforgiven eastwood had steadily made what you know eastwood hit a high point with outlaw josie wales in like 76 i think that is that won a bunch of uh fanfare and acclaim and Eastwood always says to this day it's like I could have did Unforgiven then he think he thinks Outlaw Jersey Wales and they were, are kind of like interchangeable yeah. where he could have put Outlaw Jersey Wales out in 92 and it could have had the same effect but Eastwood got the script for Unforgiven and he said I, I'm too young to play this part so he put it in a freaking drawer for 10 years and waited to age into the role. But he kept making Westerns. You know, he did like Joe Kidd yeah. uh, into the 80s. He did um, Pale Riders was 85, which basically is kind of like a remake of Shane meets High Plains Drifter, where is yeah. he a ghost? Is he back from the dead? And then uh, there might be another uh, Western of his in the in the 80s. But then he kind of started losing steam, and he's in some movies like The Last the Last Dirty Hair, The Deadpool. He's in The Rookie. Well, there was also City stuff Heat. like uh, Silverado. Silverado was huge mid-'80s, yeah. uh, which I'm not necessarily a fan of, but people love Silverado. It's a weird yeah, movie. It's almost Only because like, of, like, casting. It's it, like it, hard to see people like Kevin Klein and, like, it, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, it reminds <laughs> me of, like, if you take, like, a... Very contemporary, a, like, New Yorky type It's actor. like a Steven Spielberg episode of Amazing Stories. It turns yeah, into yeah. a Western for me. That's how I was like, you know, but people well, it's love... Like, uh, uh, which you know, there's a little link when we get to uh, when we get to the what if game. Like it's oh, like a ton of what if game. It's like uh, you know, Last Temptation of Christ is like Harvey Keitel, like you know, Bob, David Bowie. <laughs> yeah, like Scorsese <laughs> was just using whoever he could get to do it. Yeah, 
you know, to see like all these like New York Jews play <laughs> like, the apostles. It's like a very weird cat. Like Silverado's a lot like it. Yeah. That. And then so Westerns kind of die out uh, with the advent of gangster movies. You know, we all know what happened in the 70s with all those, the, you know, the gritty movies. And then Eastwood. Uh, you know his career. Uh, you know he did Heartbreak Ridge and some other stuff, and it was not waning, but it, he wasn't hitting the big strides he used to. And he came back and did Unforgiven. That was box office gold, yeah. won Academy Awards. He hadn't shown up in the Academy Awards for like twenty years, so he showed up for the first time. And then, uh, uh, and that was personal <laughs> reasons because he had a feud with the Academy because they kind of dicked him over one year uh, with hosting, uh, which he wasn't supposed to. It was supposed to be Charlton Heston, and then Charlton Heston was, literally got stuck in traffic. So he, he, they're like, can you host the, until he gets here? He's like, all right. So he goes out there, and he's reading cue card script, and it's all, you know, f- whatever. Oh, I don't know what movie was that. It's like Omega Man jokes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he was like, you know, it wasn't written for Eastwood. It was written for Charles Eston. You know what I mean? So he's like, ah, uh, until Chuck shows up, and then he, you know, walks off, and then, you know, Eastwood's like, never again. I'll go to, the, you know, this, yeah. they don't recognize my genre movies anyway. So he did Unforgiven, and then my long Story, you know, long story short, then movies started coming out. And in the '90s, you have Tombstone, you have Wyatt Earp, you have um, uh, a whole slew of other, and then lesser-known movies too that come out. Like, and then you start getting the the genre mash- mashups like Ravenous, or uh, you yeah, know, you start yeah. getting psychology, you get horror westerns, you know, and that's that's kind of cool. You're seeing like a mash, uh, like a, a well-executed mashup of the, of the, of an old idea uh, starts being fun. Or like we said, if you every once in a while you get a really good western come out and it's like you know it's kind of satisfying like yes you know it's it's good you know and uh like you were bringing up quentin tarantino uh i love that he's doing westerns now he did django and he did hateful eight my only contention with him is i don't know if people agree with i desperately think he needs a script editor as well as like i wish he would do something that wasn't so much quentin tarantino like one of my favorite movies of his is jackie brown he didn't even write that that's like yeah. I think like um, Elmore Leonard maybe or somebody. Uh, well, it's based on a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is you know who also did Get Shorty and yeah. um, the other one, Be Cool maybe. Uh, so I'd love to see Quentin Quentin Tarantino do something like that. You're not, you wouldn't typically see him do, you know, and not have that Quentin Tarantino dialogue. But I like that he's doing westerns because it's highlighting. It's like the Coen Brothers doing uh, True Grit. That's yeah. awesome. You're highlighting, you know, that. People are saying, you know, a Western won't sell nowadays or it's a pat, you know, and it's so crazy to think that, you know, in the 50s, you know, you grew up playing Cowboys and Indians. There was such a boom of TV Westerns. And now it's like, like you said, people, they, Hollywood may not even make Westerns now because they're worried that they won't sell overseas, you know, which I would think, well, I, you know, it was done right. I think they would. Like we were saying, you know, with Kurosawa before a lot of those you know, the Leone Westerns, um, or a lot of the Westerns. I mean, it's like, because those stories can be told in such, you know, in different... Yeah, interpretations in, Yeah, styles. like in different time periods or, or style. I mean, like Mad Max. Is, is a Western in... A you know, like, it becomes... It, like, in a way, it's like the Western, even though, obviously, we're making a very great point that great Westerns kind of every couple of years, we do end up getting some great Westerns, but like it like evolved, you know, like you do like Matt you get Mad Max or you get filmmakers like Carpenter where you can, you can look at a lot of his ghost of Mars. It's basically of, a real problem, you know, <laughs> you know, ghost of Mars or, uh, vampires. Yeah. Is even uh, much more a Western or even, uh, what's the one that the, the, where they're stuck in the church. Yeah, well, I don't know. Of darkness, you know. It's like <laughs> I don't know if I'd say that one's, but like, you know, Escape from New York. Yeah, I mean, he's even doing a. He's doing a Clint Eastwood. He's project. doing an Eastwood you know, Much like him 
you know, people said in this last one, uh, Kurt Russell's doing a John Wayne impression, like his his Jack Burton, you know. Yeah. So, and I think that's funny that like Kurt Russell channels how would Eastwood act in this role because it's an it's a role you see Eastwood play twenty years before, or how would John Wayne? And also, <laughs> you know, Tombstone is 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 very. Uh, you know, it's a great movie to do because we do have, like, I haven't seen one of them yet, but we have, like, two reportedly, like, great Kurt Russell westerns, like Hateful Eight and uh, what's the other one that just came out? Uh, where he's, he, he, oh, um, um, uh, Bone Tomahawk. Yeah. To- Bone Tomahawk? I think it's Bone Tomahawk. Yeah, and which I haven't seen either. That's supposed to be a great. That's another one. It's a horror <laughs> movie. It's like it's like Russell had that mustache. He's like, well, I have the mustache. I might as well get a slip another. I'll get western. as much as I can get in. I'll use. <laughs> I might as well slip another western. Into yeah, the mix. <laughs> before I shave this 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 sweet old son of a bitch. Um. So, but like, so like you know, it's like uh, you know, Russell has returned to the. To the uh, to his proverbial to, roots, I guess the, you can say. To the western, and so uh, we're kind of and and not intentionally kind of celebrating that with talking about Tombstone. And I'm surprised you watch Tombstone. I remember loving it when it came. I full disclosure, love this movie. Uh, you love this movie. That's how, yeah. like we were talking about at the beginning of this cast. The reason why we were drawn together as as kindred spirits is because you know our love there, for mutual there's movies. A, there's a there's a short li- well not super short but there's a list of movies that were. You know, know the glue that yeah. that you, movies and music. You're not going to meet two guys who the first day have both have Louis Prima CDs <laughs> that yeah. not only do they own, they brought to college with them. <laughs> <laughs> you have the Louis Prima collector series. You have the Louis Prima. <laughs> Bet. Um, but uh, this movie, not only I hadn't seen it probably in the ten years or so. I probably yeah. And, you probably know, you know you it's funny because it. there was a discussion between the two of us. Oh, it was like, it, not heated, but it was a very like. Uh, in depth, yeah. Like, what should we do? Because we've kind of made the point that uh, in the past, in like as we prepared to t- begin doing the show, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, we kind of made this thing where like we'll only do like theatrical versions, yeah, like whatever would have been on VHS, yeah, or you saw the in the theater, you know. And there was this discussion of like, should we do the theatrical cut of? Tombstone, or should we do the director's cut of Tombstone? Yeah, and um, was, and it's it's like almost we were riding the fence back and forth until I mean, like ultimately, the last it doesn't make that big of a difference because even if we even if we watched the the theatrical version of Tombstone, we would still have talked about the director's cut of Tombstone. Yeah, so ultimately, it doesn't make that big of a difference. But like we, you and I were deciding which one are we going to watch, and it's almost fitting that and which we, one we had access to as well. Yeah, it also became the one that we had access to. Because that's the one you had, so we watched that one. But it's almost fitting because you and I watched the director's cut of Tombstone. Might be the last time you and I ever watched Tombstone before this. Yeah, probably. We watched it at sleepover. Yeah, you know, (laughs) Tombstone came out. uh, You and I have a big, big uh, history with this movie. So I guess before we get into the movie, uh, I I was saying the only other movie I think we can make an argument that we could try to do a director's cut of would maybe be T2 because that has a great director's cut, yeah. which is, you know, a lot of it was left on the floor for various reasons. Um, but this movie, when it came out, you know, we saw it uh, all by ourselves. We went to college. Uh, we were like, you like the movie? We like the movie? Okay, we like the movie. That's great. And then um, you came over in college to have a sleepover. We went to Best Video, and we realized the Best Video that they were renting out DVD players. Yeah, yeah. And we were like, wow, rent a DVD player for a weekend. first experience with DVD. With DVD. Like, what is this new 
crazy format. Fang, fang yeah, <laughs> and they were like, you know, you put down a, a probably you put like a deposit of six hundred dollars. I forget what it was, you know. <laughs> and you can get the, you take the DVD player home, yeah. and then we were like, shit, we're gonna get as many DVDs as we can and watch it. 24-hour period as we can. And then we hooked up, you know, like, your sister's TV to it. Oh, yeah. That had a well, VCR. Yeah, we're not supposed to be talking about this. But <laughs> so we, I remember. And we didn't sell it. it no, we a, didn't. No, no. And we ended up buying all those DVDs no. eventually once we got DVD players. What, ha- what happened was we ended up getting, we got the DVD player. We, we picked up Toonstone because it was widescreen. We had not seen it widescreen. Yeah. And then we also picked up Texas Chainsaw Massacre because it was a special edition. Yeah, it yeah. had the audio commentary and had all the deleted yeah, scenes. This was like, you know, every, like there had become a thing where you would sometimes get like a video, like a like a movie that a would give you a second VHS tape that gave you like the movie again with a commentary. Yeah, or like deleted scenes on an extra videotape. So like, and obviously that all that kind of started with the laserdisc, but. Uh, this was brand new to us. The idea of yeah, special I mean, features, like they had been around, but it was it was rare. Like yeah. you would find a VHS tape that had a bonus feature, de- uh, like a, a separate tape that had bonus features. So we 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 took those both those movies home. I think that was astounding to see us knowing Tombstone so well from the VHS copy and finally seeing that like anamorphic widescreen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like seeing it pan and scan for so many years. Yeah, and, and it's truly uh, an example going back to like the four, the, not the forties, but the fifties when they would do these big movies, and then when they cut them up for television, where they have one lo- one shot where it's say two three five aspect ratio, and one character's on screen left, one character's on screen right, and how do you put that into like you know? Uh, four threes they'll just turn yeah. it into two different shots yeah, yeah. and they bounce as opposed to or they would pan a scan they would just <laughs> you know <laughs> so to see one. the legendary sequence of uh, or the, the whole sequence of Johnny Ringo and Doc Holliday go at each other and see that they're in one shot together <laughs> you know uh, it's amazing so and then uh, as well as we realized that it, w- it was the, since DVDs were so new remember we were like you can put the subtitles in, in Spanish or we can have them speak Spanish and we can put the American subtitles. Yeah, yeah. So we were, we were like, we dubbed that movie in VHS. <laughs> we dubbed it the regular version of widescreen. We dubbed it like in Spanish or in French with the American subtitles or vice versa. Well, we're going to learn Spanish. Yeah, by, by memorizing the movie. So that was our that was our that was one of our original experiences with DVD. And I may still have those copies somewhere. Yeah. And then, uh, lo and behold, we graduate film school in 2001. I'm working at a video store at the time upon graduation. And in 2002, they released the director's cut of Tombstone, which I think w- another night you're coming over to sleep over. Yeah. And I bring you to the video store. I'm like, are you aware this came out? You're like, no. And I just bought the freaking <laughs> the theatrical <laughs> version of it. Yeah. So we rent the, wa- the director's cut. And we watched the director's cut, which is what we ultimately ended up watching for the screening. It's kind of, it, you know, nowadays they would have put both. Yeah. I mean, know, it's, it's on only. The same collection. And it's only like 10 minutes longer. It's not like, you know, you're getting an extra hour or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so that might have been the last time we watched this. Yeah. And upon this viewing, it's so amazing how entertaining it is, but also how historically accurate the whole thing is. It's all, but yeah, I mean, some of it, but it's also really historically inaccurate in a lot of ways too uh yeah in the sense of timing wise of when things happen like you know but it's it's to the point where you're getting like um you know actual dialogue spoken yeah, or how yeah. people are you know are wearing different things or where people like the whole okay corral sequence they pretty much did it as much as they could realistically which was like the first time that it had been done the right yeah. way uh it's amazing to think that, like, the the, the, the gunfight at the Oak Creek Corral, as we know it, uh, no one really knew about until 1931. So uh, 
wide Earp dies in 1929, and in 1931, a, a biographer named uh, Stuart Lake comes out with this book called Wyatt Earp, uh, Frontier Marshal. And uh, he did like eight interviews with Wyatt Earp prior to his death. And he does this memoir, which really hams up Wyatt Earp as this bigger figure than he was, larger than life. Uh, kind of rewrites history to like kind of accentuate Wyatt Earp as being like, you know, he's the, the lawman. But it really um, shines a light on the, this, this OK Corral shootout. Yeah. which is only like 30 seconds long in real life and, and within the movie. And then you have the John Ford movie from 1946 called My Darling Clementine is based on it. And then there's a 1957 movie called Gunfight at the Old K Corral, which it's based on as well. And that's basically what becomes the parlance in uh, the, Amer- the American lexicon is what we know as the OK Corral. And then you what learn about Gunfight at the OK Corral? 1957. The j- little bit of trivia. Yeah. That Kurt Russell's dad, Bing, <laughs> Bing Russell, Bing plays, Russell plays a bartender in that movie. Yeah, yeah, he plays the bartender in that, and I didn't even know his father was a character at the time. And uh, there's a lot of nods to like to, to, to the man who shot Liberty Valance and some other movies here, uh, even to the point of, like Harry Carey Jr. being in it, Robert Mitchum being in it. So um, we have a movie by uh, th- there's a, uh, a a writer by the name and producer by the name, and he's a small time actor named Kevin Jare. Is I don't his know name? If it's Jar or just Jar with the Jar. name J A R R E. Yeah, and he had done like he wrote the Mummy, I guess. He'd well, done he like the, the Devil's like, Own. Yeah, but he also wrote uh, Rambo: First Blood Part Two. Yeah, and I think his big claim to fame was that he wrote Glory. Glo- yes, and he has a bit part in Glory too, and that won all this acclaim. So he goes to, uh, I think, uh, Kevin Costner, and he's like, I want to develop, you know, a, a, a an a movie of, of Wyatt Earp and Kevin yeah. Costner's like, I do too. And they kind of disagree on which that, way they I've want heard to conflicting stories about the Kevin Costner connection. Yeah. It's reportedly that they, they both agree. They want to do a, a Wyatt Earp story, but they kind of have differing opinions on which way they want to do where Kevin Costner wants to concentrate more on Wyatt Earp's life from beginning to end and make it much longer, almost like a TV uh, yeah. Like a TV series, like ten, six or ten episodes, where yeah, like uh, a um, yeah, mini series, where this guy Kevin Jer wants to make it more focus it more on the, his time at Tombstone and the fight at the OK Corral, and then their uh, feud with the Cowboy Gang and the Clantons and and all that. And so they probably they go their separate ways. And I hear that then Kevin Costner starts developing what turns out to be Wyatt Earp. Yeah, and Jer goes hooks up with Kurt Russell. They're like, let's make it. They start getting things together. They <coughs> and I guess and Kevin Jar or Jar is he's set to direct it. Yeah, and they go and then at the time, Kevin Costner, you know, has this big cloud of coming off of Dances with Wolves. I think that might be ninety one or ninety maybe ninety one, ninety. And uh so he kinda tells Hollywood, Hey, I'm doing a a a, a, a wide earth movie. I don't want you guys to do a wide earth movie. So they're they they have a problem finding a distributor who'll front the money to to to, to finance Tombstone. So they get uh, Buena Vista, Disney, will say, yeah, yeah we'll do it. a subsidiary of Disney. Yeah, they say, we'll, we'll put up the money, and they give them $25 million to do this movie. And um, r- then Kurt Russell and um, Jer start casting the film. And, I mean, you think about the cast we talk about in this movie. Uh, you got Kurt Russell, Sam Elliott, Bill Paxton, Powers Booth, Michael Bean, Charlton Heston, Jason Priestley, Stephen Lang, Thomas Hayden Christensen, Dana Delaney, uh, Michael Rooker, Harry Carey Jr., Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, we said Robert Mitchum, uh, who was supposed to have a bigger role. Frank Stallone, uh, <laughs> Robert John Burke, Billy Zane, just to name a few, are it's all in there. It's a very uh, 
it's, uh, it's very crazy uh, cast. It's yeah. a lot of TV actors. A lot of TV. A lot of people Jason who are. Jason Priestley is coming off an or 2 and 0. Uh, John Corbett, um, who plays Johnny Barnes, was on Northern Exposure. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church yep. was on Wings. Uh, a lot of people who also hadn't really came Billy come Bob to, Thornton wasn't anybody yet. Well, a lot of people haven't really come to fame yet. Yeah. You know that that are still Frank like Stallone. Stephen was, Stephen Lang did had did Manhunter in in some other stuff with Michael Mann, but you know yeah. he went on to do Avatar. He's in Public Enemies. Is a, you know I I personally he's love him as an actor. actor. Oh, he's amazing. I mean, he's amazing in this. Yeah, he, and he's and he he's heavier in this, and he's lost a lot of weight, and he became jacked for yeah. Public Enemies and, and Avatar. He plays the heavy. Now he's I also in that movie what's um. The one with, uh, I think he's like the bad guy in the one with James Woods and Michael J. Fox. Oh, uh, the 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 real the 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 hard way. Yeah. yeah, you're right. He is the bad guy. He's like the 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 guy with the round glasses, the killer. <laughs> I forgot about that. Well, he's also the reporter in Manhunter. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I forget who plays him. In, oh, it's what's his face who passed away. Oh, uh, Philip Seymour. Hoffman yeah, he plays it, it in in Red Dragon. So I didn't mention Val Kilmer because at the time they cast. Like you're saying, the what if game? They cast Willem Dafoe. They wanted to cast Willem Dafoe, but uh, because and, and I of think they, he got the role. Yeah, but then, but then because of there was a big controversy when Last Temptation of Christ had come out, and so Disney didn't want to deal with the fact didn't want to deal with any of that controversy. Yeah, they wouldn't distribute it if if they had. Which Dafoe is in really it. interesting, and uh, you know, there's a short little story about the tombstone and this. This part of Doc Holliday. Um, first of all, uh, I think it would have been really interesting with Willem Dafoe. He's a really interesting actor. Um, of course, Val Kilmer. I mean, this is like, I think most people consider this like his best performance. Yeah, this and uh, Morrison in the Doors is kind of like. And uh, I mean, and he's fantastic in it. But it's very funny because I remember when we were in college. Um, it was almost just to like kind of bust your chops. I always used to tell you how like uh, I think James Spader would be awesome as Doc Holiday. <laughs> and you were and you would be like, but Val Kilmer's so good in it. I'm like, yeah, but I think James Spader could have done better. And you used to get so mad at me. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> because I was like at the time I was very into like Cronenberg and stuff. So yeah. like I was coming off of like Crash and I still think Wolf. at the time like eighty like nineties James Spader I think he could have fucking nailed he could have done a really interesting performance. But Val Kilmer's so great. In this well, part. it's also like I I'm a huge um, uh, uh, Dennis uh, what's his name fan Weaver uh, not Dennis Weaver <laughs> I love Dennis Weaver. <laughs> No, um, uh, Leary. No, not Dennis Leary from White Earp, who, who plays Doc Holliday. Oh, Quaid. Yeah, yeah, Dennis Quaid, and I think he—I've never seen White Earp, but I think from what I've seen, he looks great in it too. But it's so weird to think would would the part have been? I mean, people say this is the first time. Uh, how many times Doc Holliday's been played in a movie where you have you know the actor actually puts the Southern Georgia drawl on his? You know, he's never been played with the accent before yeah. or, or the complicated. I also say this is the first time that they were. This was like the first time that the friendship between Earp and Holiday. Like there was no like, there there was always because one was a lawman and one was like an outlaw. They most movies about that relate or had that relationship. They they would at some point in the movie there would be conflict between them. Yeah, and this is not a. Like no, it really highlights the, the 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 true life relationship they had till he, till they died of like the friendship they had. Um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 
it's so odd to think if somebody else in the role and, and uh, even like Mickey Rourke, they wanted Mickey Rourke for Mickey Rourke tried out for Johnny Ringo and they're like, no, no, and they denied Mickey Rourke. And I think Michael Bean plays a freaking oh, well, amazing you're, you're, role. You'd be hard pressed to find you know, two, two bigger Michael Bean fans than you and I. <laughs> I know, and and, and it's so you know he's coming he's off so, the abyss. He's, the he's atti- great, you know. Yes. Yeah, the abyss. Too, and in real life, this is why I talk about how how true they keep things like you know johnny ringo was supposed to be a really well-read guy as yeah, was doc yeah. holiday so who knows if they actually had that latin exchange but it's like this is it, it's cool that you have this dichotomy of these you know basically like the stephen lang ike clanton level of illiteracy yeah, and yeah. idiots you know listen kansas city law dog where you know you have these other two people who are like you know almost classically trained school they went to school and well stuff. you know it's you know this it's interesting because you know there is like this weird dichotomy between the two uh, between in this movie uh, with like accuracy and inaccuracy like Clanton in real life was like a like a business like a cattle owner like business guy I mean, he wasn't part of the of the cowboy uh he he had a lot of the cowboys worked for him yeah and uh that's how he you know he knew them and um but he was never a part of that uh of the gang yeah it's weird cuz at the time Cowboy was a disparaging term. Like if you were like a, a, a herder or a cowhand, that was more what we look at now as a cowboy. Where a cowboy back then was kind of like a, you were like a, a, a cattle, like a free grazer or somebody who would like you know a horse thief or or uh, you know a robber. And that was a disparaging term. You'd call somebody, you'd call him a cowboy. And then they would, you know, it was like the first, like they say in the movie, the the the, the origins of the first organized kind of a, a pre mafia. Yeah. In America, of 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 people joining together to have this big kind of militia, who, you know, people went to Tombstone for for the for the silver rush in eighteen seventy nine. Tombstone, yeah, I think that's up. something, and it's you know, it's something that like I didn't quite. I feel like I never really quite picked up on it until this time around, which is like because you there's there's only one reference to it. There's, if maybe there's a few more, but there's like, you know, Kurt Russell something like said something about like silver. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, because Rob Mitchum at the beginning of his narration is like, you know, 1879, the silver boom yeah, brings yeah. everybody, you know, and he starts, but, you know. So, I mean, basically, Tombstone is like this boom town. There was like, they found. People, like two years. People found silver. There was a big then, gold rush. Post-Civil uh, War, everybody wants to go out west. And I was just commenting to somebody, like, it's amazing to think, like, 100 years ago, half of the California wasn't even there. You think of America or even like Europe has been there for freaking centuries. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, lar- large amounts of California and, and, and stuff out there is, is not even 100 years old. It's all brand new, you know. So every post-Civil War, uh, people wanted to go strike it rich and go west because gold was silver. People, you know, ended up going to Alaska. So you had all these people, settlers are coming over to try to, you know, and I think they were giving land away. You know, they yeah. were saying like, you know, if you can if you can tame it, whatever, it'll be yours. And you know, if you find stuff, it's your stuff. So everybody's going out there. And a lot of these towns. And it's also so close. Tombstone's so close to Mexico. Yeah. That the cowboys would go. They would cross the border and like steal cattle and, and you know, get up to nonsense. And then they would come back. And so it was so close that they would end up going there. So it ended up attracting this un, like unsavory element. Yeah. And, the, you know, the, the problem was in real life, you know, when uh, Virgil and then and also uh, Wyatt became lawmen in Tombstone in real life, it's like their job was really just to, you know, 
just keep the keep that, law and order, or keep well, people the, from for keeping being the, civil, from getting yeah, to getting too out of hand. Because here's the thing: they needed the commerce. The, yeah. that the they needed the the town needed the money that the cowboys were spending. Yeah, so it wasn't like you couldn't you could run them out of town. It was just like when they got a little too drunk yeah, and to, started getting a little too rowdy, you just had to kind of <laughs> shooting their guns in the air and, and yeah. Know. But it was like. There was a lot of politics going on yeah. at that time, and it wasn't like in the movie where, you know, they clear be- cut. They become lawmen, you know, you know, because there was no because f- f- the fucking marshal got killed, yeah. and, they, well, and they, it was like they were there to seize the opportunity, and and Wyatt really wanted to become the sheriff in real life. Because that's where the money was. Because you could keep a certain percentage of the taxes that you collect. Whereas, like you, as a sheriff in Tombstone, they you could have made like thirty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. And when you and that's fucking that's when thirty thousand dollars was fucking thirty thousand yeah, yeah, dollars. Yeah. The Cowboys were making like a dollar a day. Yeah. You know, working as like ranch hands and share like cattle guys, yeah. and so like he really wanted that um, that job. But, but he then, ran for but office. But then being Got nominated, got yeah, got put in, and then he was lobbying to become sheriff. Not Michael Bean, like the the actual yeah, yeah the, the sheriff who who's played in the movie Johnny Bean, who kind of sides with the Cowboys in the movie. He's like the, he looks like a politician almost because Virgil uh, is made. Uh, I don't know what he's made a marshal or something before they get to Tombstone, and the 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 Earp brothers traveled together. They were they were northern uh, Republicans, that, and, and they they came out west. They were they grew up and they would travel together from town to town. And um, Virgil was appointed deputy U.S. marshal for Tombstone before they arrived. And Wyatt was hoping to to leave first law behind, and he was hoping to to, to open a stagecoach industry. But then when he got there, he found out the stagecoach em- industry was very uh, competitive. So the brothers ended up getting into uh, among other things. They would go from town to town, either be lawman, saloon owners, or pimps. Yeah, so well, they were pimping yeah, out because I mean, at the time he became a lawman. Wyatt was basically not even so much a pimp, but a like the muscle, you know, like a protector. Of, yeah. of, uh, of, of and his first wife was a prostitute. Yeah, and uh, so in Morgan as well as Wyatt end up working for uh, f- uh, Wells Fargo, being the shotgun driver on, yeah, on yeah. you know when they're carrying. Which was a fucking dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's where you get riding shotgun from yeah, for yeah. all those people who have never seen uh, Magnificent Seven with you know Steve McQueen has that great scene. But like yeah, when you rode shotgun, it's basically you know you're on the top with the guy. There's a guy, the driver, who's tending to the horses, and you're sitting next to him with the shotgun, the double barrel usually, and you're you know just keeping an eye out, and you you know for so for people who are going to come cattle rustlers or robbers to rob your your whatever bullion or yeah, gold yeah. you're 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 transporting in these stagecoach or, or even if you're having people a lot of times stagecoaches would be just held up for you know it's, it's just like a mugging and then they'd have a, a, a someone riding shotgun just to try to keep some you know weaponry so Wyatt Earp did that for a while I mean he was a marshal before that in Dodge City and he only got into one shootout and uh, reportedly what happened was uh, a couple cowboys were drunk and were, sh- were shooting in the street uh, uh, Wyatt Earp, along with some other people, shot at the cowboys that were fleeing. Oh, they were outside of a theater, I think, and then they, they shot up a theater. And, and one of the guys got shot in the arm, 
And that guy later died maybe after a month from his injury, and Wyatt took the credit for that. And that's the guy he he ended up saying that he you know he killed. Yeah, he Virgil it, had much more. He says it in the movie, you know. And the, the thing is, they don't even know who shot that guy. Yeah, but, but just, he's always kept. The, he always like, and Wyatt always kind of you know, felt really shitty that he could have been. Yeah, like, and I agree guy. with you that that um that that those these are the in- inaccuracies we're highlighting there's a lot of that but i was just astounded by like the accuracy of them yeah like uh, uh, you know like virgil saying like you know the, you know, you know we, this we, is not what i want yeah, or, he, or, or or he's actually carrying doc holiday's cane which was yeah. true or uh you know yeah the the lines were like you know they're shooting at us or uh you know you're going to get killed you know there's a lot of yeah, lines like, like, i'm your huckleberry at him and he yeah says, you know the fights commence get the fight and get away all that kind of who actually ran off in what direction so the only one who really saw combat at the time was virgil Virgil was in the Civil War, and he was decorated, and he had done other stuff. And Morgan had never even got into a gunfight until this happened. And um, so they get to Tombstone, and uh, basically, um, you know, you said that that Wyatt runs for public office in in, in 1980. He, but he loses uh, 1980, 1880, <laughs> but but he loses yeah. the election. So he uh, to be uh, uh, the county sheriff, and and it, he ended up going to, uh, becoming the. Uh, riding shotgun on the Wells Fargo stuff. And then uh, slowly but surely, they start getting into these. Because the, the, then, then the what happens is Virgil, who's the deputy marshal uh, of, the, uh, 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 the, uh, of the county, starts taking the sides of the business owners, where you said the, being the actual sheriff of Tombstone is kind of siding more with the cowboys. So there becomes yeah. this riff where the, the business owners and the client people, the public don't necessarily care for the why the Earps, but at the same time they realize that the Earps kind of have their back because yeah, at the end yeah. of the day the Earps are business owners themselves. And it's also, it, yeah, but also what's really, what's interesting in the kind of like the discrepancy, which is a really interesting story is, <clears throat> which is what led to the OK Corral, which is that Earp was trying to run for county sheriff and there was a, there was a like a stagecoach robbery where somebody got killed by one of the cowboys. Yeah, there was like there was a guy that was ill th- that day, uh, who was usually the the shotgun drive, who was usually the the uh, driver of the of the horses. So uh, another man who was usually the shotgun rider yeah. had switched positions, and he was doing the horses that day. And then it was I th- it might have been a Wells Fargo or whatever. And as you're saying, they they're they're right along on the road. Uh, the, the the cowboys or the the robbers come out and they say hold it they shoot and they shoot the they they fire a shot and they kill the shotgun driver yeah. and that guy's <clears> like that was intentional they thought I was going to be there that day and that's why they shot him first and yeah. so but so there's, there's a lot of aggression that starts happening so he t- and then there's like a there's a there's a reward <clears throat> on the head of the people that, that committed this that committed this the robbery <clears throat> excuse me and. So Herb says to himself, like, if I can catch these these guys, these guys, then that'll like sway the public favor, you know, the public's, uh, you know, yeah, the, was... the, to to favor me. <clears throat> so he goes to Clanton, like Clanton, and he says, "Look, I know you've done a lot of business with the uh, the Cowboys. If you can find out like where they are, you can have the reward money. I don't want the reward money." I'll go get them, and they. It was like four hundred miles or something. Yeah, it was. It was like three guys, <coughs> and I forget how much it was, but it ended up being like like twelve hundred per guy. There was so so, they, but uh, so, Ike Clanton says, "All right, I'll find out, but you fucking can't tell anybody, <laughs> because the wink, minute wink. The, the minute they find out that I 
like snitched on them. They're going to kill me. Yeah. So Earp goes out to like get them. Somebody else kills the cowboys before Earp gets there. Yeah. And so Earp doesn't get his guys. Clant doesn't get his reward. And then they, it they, starts to stew, and I Clanton starts to get really paranoid that like, w- like Earp might say something. Yeah, and it, and it builds this tension where then the- so Clanton comes to town, and he he's fucking rowdy in the clubs, which is very reminiscent of what happens in the in the Oriental club. He or has whatever. A, he has a propensity to drink, and he starts getting drunk. He starts getting into fights, and swearing, and as he's getting drunk, he's getting more obs- obsessed with this fact that. Fucking wider might say something. Yeah, and, and he has so he problems gets very confron- Doc Holiday. He gets very confrontational with Erp and Doc Holiday, and then that is it's all that. that then shortly led up to the, yeah. the shootout. Of the OK, and girl. then they, they mandate this law where there's you know they, they don't want any guns within city limits, and then they look at it. The, the Cowboys are like you know fuck you guys the the Erps because you're just coming in here manhandling us and telling us what to do. We have a right to bear arms and carry stuff. And, you know, the Earp's standpoint is like, well, we want to try to maintain some sort of civil uh, obedience because you guys are getting drunk coming up here shooting. And what ends up happening is um, the marshal in the in the uh, marshal, Fred White, uh, who in the movies played by Harry Carey Jr. in our What If Game was originally supposed to be played by Glenn Ford. And Glenn Ford, the legendary actor who we all know and love, uh, ended up being too ill to play the part. So Harry Carey Jr., who was another legendary Western actor who was 76 at the time, was supposed to just play like a wagon hand. Yeah. He takes over and plays the Fred Marshall part. And this is really funny. This goes into the, the historical accuracy uh, to a certain part and then some historical inaccuracy about the movie yeah. where uh, Harry Carey Jr. takes on the role as Marshal Fred White. And then we know him at the scene where Powers Booth uh, playing uh, Curly Bill uh, Brocious is supposedly getting high with the Chinese and opium, goes out shooting. This really happens where uh, they're all uh, uh, outside shooting their guns in the air one night. The marshal goes up to tell them, hey, you know, I need to disarm you. I need you to take, you know, to put your guns down. And what actually ends up happening is Curly Bill, in the movie, they make it look like it's on purpose. Yeah. But it, what actually happens is um, his gun, the kind of gun that he had, the revolver, is it was half cocked. And when he was giving it to him, he accidentally shoots him. Wyatt Earp actually does see this, runs over, hits, pistol whips Curly Bill over the head, knocks him out. And then the town right there wants to lynch him. And Wyatt Earp actually st- st- sticks up for Curly Bill. Says, no, 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 we're going to take him and he's going to yeah, have yeah. a trial. And they don't lynch him. But unlike the movie, what ends up happening is, which they don't really explain in the movie, is the reason why Powers Booth's character, Curly Bill, is never brought up on charges is because uh, the marshal, Fred White, survives long enough, maybe a couple days before he dies. And he testifies, like, no, it was an accident. And then they, when they have the inquiry, they show the kind of gun he has, see how it can go off half cock. Yeah, yeah. So that's why... Uh, 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 charges charges were never pressed, but the the inaccuracy, which uh, to get to my point about this, is because you have a seventy six year old Harry Carey Jr. playing the role, and in real life, the marshal died at thirty one. He was, <laughs> <laughs> he was yeah, a thirty one yeah. year old who ended up getting shot and killed. Yeah. So so you have this um uh this this constant aggression that's starting to happen. Another interesting thing is that they were going to have um. Robert Mitchum come in, and Robert Mitchum was going to play the part of the elder uh, Clanton. Yeah. He was going to be, um, uh, I forget the, 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 the gentleman's name, the, the elder. And uh, first day of shooting, uh, Robert Mitchum falls from his horse and uh, really hurts himself. He was going to play uh, Newman Hayes Clanton. 
but he had a horse riding accident and he hurts his leg and he can't go on. So they actually, instead of recasting it, they just write him out and they give the majority of his dialogue to either Ike or a lot more of it to Powers Booth, yeah. Curly Bill. And then Robert Mitchum just ends up being the narrator. He, he bookends yeah, the movie. Yeah. So um, this uh, aggression starts happening, which leads up to the OK Corral uh, shootout. But there's parts where they're like at the uh, Birdcage Theater. Some of that actually happened where there was a scene where they talk about witnesses say that like, there was a guy, uh, the, the juggler who comes up on stage, um, started juggling, and then you know th they shot at him, and then the guy runs off stage. They're shooting at us. See, that's all real dialogue. So it's it's interesting that this this um, uh, director here, uh, Kevin Jar at the time, you know, wrote this script. I think it might have been the only script he wrote, or he came up with stories. But this is a pretty amazing script that he writes that it's so accurate. But the problem was with his script was he it was too big, and he had Every character, you have like 89 speaking parts, so every character yeah. in the movie had like a subplot explaining it. And uh, Kilmer and Kurt Russell, in, a, in an interview with, I think it's called True West Magazine in 2006, talk about like, you know, Kurt Russell was like writing himself out of it so that he can give other people screen time or, you know, there was just, there was just too much there, subplot and yeah, scenes. Yeah. So uh, basically, a Jar doesn't want to... He doesn't want to cut anything. He doesn't, he's, he's set to direct the movie, and he, because it's his baby, he wrote the script, he doesn't want to cut anything. He shoots the scenes with Charlton Heston. They get shot, and then there's this huge fight. Like He's like, no, I don't want to cut stuff. Yeah. So I guess at Buena Vista, Disney ends up firing him. Yeah. And then everyone gets scared that shit, they may just can the movie because the only things we have in the can are the, the Charlton Heston sequences. Uh, now this is where it becomes really weird because after uh, they bring in... Uh, George P. Cosmatos. Cosmatos, who, who Stallone, and I don't know what Stallone, is it Sylvester or Frank suggest, like, hey, he did a good job on Rambo well, Part Well, it's two. also, there's that, but it's also, um, and this guy's got the fucking best name ever, and if we were going to do a uh, sleep, sleepover movie Hall of Fame executive producer, yeah, an inductee, Andrew G. Vagna. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Probably something like Vanya, but it's V-A-J-N-A. -A -A. V-J-J. <laughs> Andrew G. Vagna. Yeah. Uh, who executive produced The Changeling, which is a favorite of We love mine. George C. Scott's The Changeling. Victory with Stallone. Uh, all the Rambo, the first three Rambo movies, Angel Heart, oh, which Angel. is Total Recall, Color yeah. of Night, Jacob's Ladder. Um, this guy, executive producer on a, a million fucking awesome like sleepover movies um there's also it could be it could have been frank or sly but it's also you know that uh vagina had had uh, produced the rambo yeah. Blood part two so they um and he co and he was executive producer of, of this film too so somehow george picas matos who uh doesn't have a very lengthy uh uh Filmography. He died in 2005, but he had, he, uh, among among a, a few other movies, he directed First Blood Part Two, Cobra, yeah. and Leviathan. Yeah, all sleepover stable <laughs> classics. Yeah, yeah, Leviathan and Cobra are great. And uh, so they suggest him, and this is what, th there's a weird speculation, because in this 2006, so he dies in 2005. Yeah. Movie, this movie, of course, talking about came out uh, Christmas Eve, two, uh, 1993. So somehow, somehow, 
no matter who somebody brings up that hey George Pico's Matos could come in and fucking finish the yeah movie. but r- now after he dies in 2005 in 2006 they do this interview with True West magazine Kurt again, Russell again with that True West magazine yeah Kurt Russell says in the interview that it was actually him uh, October 2006 if people want to go check out this article uh, Russell says it was actually him who who went on to direct the movie after Jar was fired and he did the majority of the picture. And it, according to Russell, Russell's saying that it's cr- it's uh, credited to Cosmatos. Uh, is Cosmatos? Yeah. But uh, he served, he basically was just there as a figurehead to make things go smoothly. And he. they also say that, that they even developed, Russell says that he would give the guy shot lists the yeah, night like before. The, the night before and the then day, they, he would sit in his hotel room and give him stuff like shot lists and storyboards. And, and then the next day, they'd even come up with a weird kind of silent sign language so that Russell could... I, and see, it's all... Hey, I love Russell. I've never heard him ever say anything like this before. I think he's a great guy. But, so it's just really interesting to, out of nowhere, hear that Russell's like saying, like, why wouldn't he just, at the time, say, no, I'm going to take on it. Maybe he didn't want to step on people's heels and not let the executives know because he's doing... Who knows? It also could have been unions. Yeah, stuff. you know, it's so weird. So then they they bring in another... Because uh, he's not... You know, I would imagine that he's not part of the Director's Guild. Yeah, that's true, too. There's a lot it, of issues. It could have it could have been a union thing. Who knows? I mean, and you know, who knows if this is... It's, if it's yeah, true so It's just not, weird. You know? So, th- and then in, while th- while this is all happening, they're bringing in the second director. They 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 bring in another uh, scriptwriter, and he really cuts the script up, brings it down, shaves off all the excess, and um, he gets co credit for the script when the movie I think comes out in the theater. But by the time it hits VHS, his movie's now his name is redacted. I think because maybe uh, Jar goes to the Writers Guild and maybe threatens to sue, or there's some sort of arbitration saying, "Hey, you yeah, know." Yeah, it's a very weird thing, and it's also, um, you know, for all of you out there that, uh, you know, and not that we're experts on all the finer points of filmmaking and all this stuff, but there's, you know, something I thought was really interesting when I learned was if if a, if you see the writing credit at the beginning of the movie, if it was to say um, like written by Dion. And the word and, A-N-D, Blake, that means that, like, you start, you wrote a script and then I rewrote it. And you have to be But able if to it says, written by Dion and the and symbol, not the word, but the and symbol, that means we wrote it together. And also, if you, if, if it's the, the word and, you have to prove that you, what, changed 50% of it? Yeah, or there's, certain, yeah uh, there's all kinds of... You know, of I can come in and do a rewrite, but then if I didn't... I can't prove that I did a, 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 a significant enough. change. Yeah, like, I won't get the. It's very weird. Phil, uh, Writers Guild rules and stuff like that. So a lot of times, people come in and will do ghost revisions. Like we talked about George Lucas coming in and doing a, a revision for um, uh, whatever movie we just did. Uh, 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 was it Gremlins or I forget what it was? We just did something uh-huh. about it. But you know, it's, and you don't even hear about it, and it's just because um, you know that they never for whatever reason, you know, they, they didn't get a credit. So uh, they bring in, um, uh, what's his face? Cosmatos. Cosmatos, and he directs this son of a bitch. And uh, it's it's a pretty well-done movie. A lot of critics at the time were saying, well, you know, there's a lot of subplot that don't go anywhere. I mean, there's certainly a freaking uh, a huge amount of, of people coming in and out of this movie where it's like, you know, you're like, look who that is, look who that is, Jason Priestley. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, you know, I guess a lot of it isn't developed 
uh, the way it should, but it's just such a epic, uh, you know, of how do you keep everything and hold it down and, and have plot and subplot and, um, you know, they develop the relationship about the women, and it's true that the that White Earp's, um, I guess, first wife, common-law marriage wife, um, Maddie Earp, played by Dana Wheeler Nixon, uh, Nicholson, who people who listen to our podcast, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, <laughs> if you're real diehard listeners, you may recognize that last name. Why, you ask? Because... She is the granddaughter of Major Malcolm uh, Wheeler Nixon, who we talk about in the Batman, the Epic Batman podcast. He created, <laughs> Epic Batman podcast. He created the original DC Comics in the 1920s or whatever, but then he needed money and he ended up selling it uh, to, I think, the two people who ended up, you know, uh, who Bob Kane was a part of, whoever all those people were. And uh, they don't see the uh, any money of it now, but she is the great-granddaughter, or the, just the granddaughter of, of, of that gentleman, Major Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson. But that's all true about her having the, the, uh, the, the opiate addiction with, 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 the, with the medicine, and then him meeting, um, what's-her-face, Dana Delaney, who's Josephine Marcus's character, and they live together till their death, common law. So yeah. it's just hard to, to, de- to develop... All this stuff, which ends up showing up, I think, in the director's cut, you have a little more. There's a of, little taste of about the issues that he's having because it's really weird. You 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 want to make the which I think it comes across right. You want to have Wider be a really, you know, stand up guy, but also you have to kind of justify why he's going to go off and cheat on his wife. You know, and that's really hard to justify. Like, why is this great guy? Yeah, so yeah. you have to show the affliction that he's dealing with at home, where he's, you know, he's trying to. Um, have things you know to work out but at the same time you have to have the heart show the hardship so that you can yeah you know justify why he's gonna go and like you know run off and have these horse jaunts with <laughs> with uh josephine um Dana Delaney's he, character. she likes takeout or home yeah, room yeah service. she wants room service all the rest of her <laughs> life and moving pictures and stuff and and then the also the other thing you you get a little more taste of is the relationship that um Doc Holliday had with his girl that you realize you only I think got a taste of it in the theatrical version that she's kind of just staying with him because he's it's exciting and she's he's probably like supplementing her lifestyle or he's yeah, buying yeah. you know and as soon as you know he the, the tuberculosis overtakes him yeah. she's gone and out of his life you know okay. so here's the, the director's cut versus theatrical version there's a number of there's a handful of scenes that are different um, and I don't think I, to be honest I don't think a lot of them are really and I mean, there's only a few, so to begin with. But I, I think there's only two that are really that the movie could have benefited, ultimately, with having, which is the one of the, the first one you're referring to, which is uh, Kurt Russell and his wife. Maddie. Um, it's more about there's a little bit more about the 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 op- the opium addiction. He finds a whole bunch of empty bottles. I mean, like not a whole bunch. Like he finds like a dozen, <laughs> a two dozen. He's like, are these the, Jesus dr- Christ, a drawer full. He's like, is, is this just today? Because you see in the movie, he's like, is that the one that uh, uh, what's her face gave you? What's her face gave you? And she's, and he's always like being like, yeah, maybe you should try to keep that, tabs on her. Yeah. So he finds like a fucking drawer full of empty bottles, and he gets a little, and then they get in the bed, and and this is, comes after the the horse ride, the horse ride with Dana Delaney. So he's like, uh, you know what do you say about if we just like up and leave and we travel? He basically proposes to her what Dana Delaney says he quotes that she like, wants. Room service for the rest and of And we live off room service for the rest of And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about, <laughs> asshole? I know. And he's Jesus. like, oh, nothing. And it's it's a great scene because 
Russell's great in that scene. Yeah. Both aspects of like dealing with the, the his wife having the substance abuse problem. And then like you really feel for him in that scene in that like he seems like very excited. He does seem like he's in love with her. And he's like, let's go off and do this because you know what? That's what I want to. And then when she's like, no, he's like, oh, nothing. You know, like, yeah. oh, I was just... It was some stupid idea. Some stupid and daydream. I really feel bad. I really felt bad for him in that scene. Well, you really realize that he's, instead of, like, hooking up with her, do they end up kissing on the horseback or no? I don't think. Not to my recollection. But it feels like they he very well could have just threw her down and had his way with it. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, he, he he's a better man for it, and he goes home and he says, hey, let's, let's, let's run away together. Let's sell our stakes, get out of this town, and go see the world, like, you know. What I would think every girl wants to do. Hey, we have the money. Let's go tour the world. Yeah. You know, and she's like, what are you talking about? I want to just sit in my room and <laughs> drink this, this opium bottle for the rest of my life, which um, is really sad. The second scene is this other scene you're referring to, um, which is one that I don't think is so much needed, but it's between Doc Holliday and uh, his girl. Yeah. And I think if I recall correctly, it's when he's like gearing up to... He's going he's to go help them. He's got to... Yeah, it's like after... Paxton dies. Yeah, it's Spoiler after he says, Hell's coming with me. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to fucking ride with Wyatt. She's so like, we're not really saying he's necessarily in the right order, but these are the major the deleted scenes that, yeah, that yeah. show up. Um, and then that's when it's like, it's, ref- it's kind of alluded to that she, that she's really only with him for like the money and whatnot. Um, oh yeah. And then there's the scene, which is the night that uh, Morgan dies, which is just, uh, Val Kilmer sitting in a chair fucking getting, like, drunk with the storm outside. Yeah, and he's quoting he's quoting um, Kabula Khan uh, by Samuel Taylor uh, Coleridge. He, he, he's saying a passage, And you close your eyes with holy dread, for he on honeydew uh, hath felt and drunk the milk of paradise. So, yeah, yeah he's... And yeah, it's, cu- he's, and it's Kubla Khan. <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> Kabula. Kabula Khan. Uh, Kubla Khan, yeah, because he's basically he's relegated to his room at that point because yeah, he's yeah. so he's so hammered, right? And that, that yeah, you yeah. know, you know. So, uh, and then I, there's a scene with which I think is pretty good, where it's um, Michael Bean. Yeah, the the Wyatt Earp scene with his with his wife, and the and the Michael Rooker scene, yeah. which is the one you're about to talk about. Those are the two scenes where I feel like the film actually probably. Might have been better if those two scenes were in the movie. Yeah, because Ringo kind of. The other scenes are like they're fun to watch if you're a big fan of the movie and see the, this little extra snippet. But these, the, the scene that you're about to talk about, is another scene that I think would because you don't really you kind of get it. You get what happens to Michael Rooker's character, but like it just really spells it out. Yeah, because you see them. I mean, Johnny Ringo talks about he's like he he basically gives you like the. Uh, you know, the Scooby-Doo, like, I'm going to, first we're going to take them all, then we're going to get them. And, you know, it kind of just sets up what clearly the last, um, you know, the last act or the last thing is going to happen. And well, they, yeah, it's like, they Rook, double cross. it's like Rooker goes over to talk to the fucking Cowboys. Yeah, Rooker used to be a Cowboy. He used to be a Cowboy. And him along with the two other guys who are actually, um, I, I forget who they all, who, what their names are, but they're very famous, uh, also Western actors. Uh, you know, they, they after they see what happened to, um, which basically happened in real life. Um, so you have the 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 uh, 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 gunfight, the OK Corral. Ike Clinton, who survives it, actually brings charges up against the the, the Earps. Um, Virgil's taken down from being uh, the, the the marshal at the time. They, there's a month long. Um, 
uh, hearing, which is it's called the the Spicer hearings, where they go through everything, different version of events. Uh, the 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 Erps claim that um that the 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 Clantons had guns that were being hostile, they were threatening. While the the uh, I'm sorry, the Erps claim that against the Clantons, Clantons were saying, no, we didn't do anything. We had our arms up. They have a, a corner come in the in the uh, the corner says they in fact. Uh, we're not shot um, in cold blood. You know, you could tell by their by their clothes that the that the autopsy showed that their hands weren't raised. So eventually, the uh, the the Earps are cleared of any kind of wrongdoing for the OK Corral sequence. And this is up to like today. There's historians who have conflicting who shot first because there's witness yeah. testimony that was uh, that's conflicting. So the the Clantons uh, end up having revenge, and they they and this is where you talk about inaccuracies for the movie. They go after Virgil. I. Th- that happens. Um, the the o- OK Corral. They get to Tombstone in seventeen uh, eighteen seventy nine. The the gunfight at the OK Corral happens at three p.m. on Wednesday, October the twenty sixth, eighteen eighty one. Uh, on December twenty ninth, they twenty uh, eighth. I'm sorry. They ambush Virgil and they maim him uh, as revenge. And then on March eighteenth, seeing the movie, they make it like it's the same night. Yeah. yeah. But in March eighteenth, eighteen eighty two, they they. Uh, corner um, Morgan and they shoot through a saloon window and they kill him and that's um, when all the suspects uh, are able to furnish alibis that no we were all you know that, that yeah, we didn't yeah. work and that's when Wyatt fucking goes apeshit uh, gets it becomes a deputy marshal and goes on his own personal vendetta uh, what we're talking about here about it and and after the killing of the um, of, of when Morgan after Virgin, Virgil and Morgan for the for the sake of plot in the movie, it happens really cool in one night, and yeah. they actually—it's legendary. They, it was a real lightning storm at the time that they that they that they didn't use effects. That you have um, Michael Rooker's character and um, two other guys who um, I think it's—I uh, forget the uh, Turkey Creek Jack Johnson played by uh, Buck Taylor and Texas Jack Vermin played by Peter Sharenko, maybe um, they quit. They say, you know, we can't be a part yeah, of this, yeah. Cowboys. They throw their sashes down. And that's when they go to Charlton Heston's place to hide out. And then M- Michael Rooker's going to go talk to the Cowboys. I forget why. why do yeah, they, uh, I forget why, too. But, he, but then it's, it's, a, it's a booby trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. Michael Rooker, it's a trap. But in the, move, in the theatrical version, they just, like, come fucking dragging his dead body back. Yeah, it's awesome. And you don't know. You don't know who it is you or what's happening. Because, like, like, you and I right now don't even remember why he went there. So it's like, all of a sudden, he's just like this fucking, like... Yeah, you don't even see, because at the time, uh, Michael Rooker, like, oh, you shit, know... Fucking, who, wait, who's that guy? You know, <laughs> who we, died? we knew Michael Rooker from, like, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer or from, like, fucking Above the Law, where he's like, yeah. I saw the top of red with Steven Seagal. So we didn't really know who Michael Rooker was as an actor. So for him to disappear, there's so many people coming in and out of this fucking movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we couldn't really tell. So when they just drag him up, you're like, wait, who is this guy? Yeah, yeah, but... Here you see he goes there and then Johnny Ringo kind of Johnny Ringo's was like, well, how do you think you're gonna get back? Like, how why like why would we let you leave? Yeah, why why are we gonna honor yeah the, any kind of a thing? Yeah. So then the next scene would be his dead body gets dragged back. So now you know like why why it how it happened and why it happened. Yeah. Um, those are the I guess the majority of the deleted scenes. I think that's really it. There's only a, another like tiny little snippet, um, which is for some reason. When Dana Delaney, she comes and like they restock or whatever, uh, you know, at Charlton Heston's, the the, the dude ranch. Yeah, they fill up, <laughs> fill up the tank. 
Um, I can't remember what it is. Oh, I guess it's because there's a dissolve that then goes to, maybe it's the dissolve that then goes to the Michael Rooker scene. Uh, the difference is, uh, in the theatrical version, it like that the stage, her stage coast kind of like takes a left and then there's some kind of dissolve maybe to the Rooker scene and then, or not to the Rooker scene, but whatever the next scene is, maybe Rooker's body being pulled back. And then in the theater, in the director's cut, the stagecoach goes straight instead of hanging left. And then it dissolves to the Michael Rooker scene. I feel like we're all over the place in this, but I think if you're true fans of the movie, you'll, you'll, you'll you understand all this. There's another uh, extended sequence, which is very funny. Uh, another part of history for this movie for me is um, at the time, my father, when this came out, my father had surgery and he was laid up for like a, maybe a month r- recuperating. And at the time, this had just come out on pay-per-view. And my dad, literally, since he was laid up recovering, he watched this movie like 50 or 60 times. He like had it down. He loved the fucking movie. It was on pay-per-view. Uh, full disclosure, he had like one of those black boxes or whatever. I'm lying. And he, he was able to watch the movie dozens of times. But he used to say to me, he's like, Dion, why, uh, why in the trailers you see in a scene where uh, you know, Doc Holliday is holding uh, Val Kilmer in the creek and it's not in the, th- in, in the movie. And I'm trying to explain to him, well, for all we know, it's a deleted scene, Dad. There, there was a theatrical cut. They could have cut it out. And what they added into this, to the director's cut of this, is um, there is a scene where uh, when they end up killing Powers Booth. Um, no. Yeah. Which is my, no! least, my least favorite part no! of that movie. <laughs> this that. actually happened where um, what happens is they, um, they cor- the corner of the Cowboys, uh, Curly Bill comes out, Doc Holliday, uh, 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 Wired Up comes out, and there's this, the first guy you see, he shoots um, uh, this guy named Johnny Barnes, and he, he's the guy who yells, Jesus Christ, he gets shot, and he falls dead in the river. In real life, he got shot in the stomach, uh, didn't die on the site. He managed to escape to a farmhouse, and he died in the farmhouse. But on his deathbed, he explained, which is the deleted scene in this movie, or, or the extent of it, what really happened was that Actually, what actually happened is, as in the movie, Curly Bill shot point-blank range, unloaded his revolver at fucking Wyatt Earp. Wyatt Earp did not get shot and instead got point-blank range and went, no, <laughs> and shot, double barrel, fired, and, and, and that's yeah. how Curly Bill got, got killed. And then the ending of it is is uh, everybody, that kind of like rallies everybody. They all come out shooting, and uh, Val Kilmer grabs him and kind of like he collapses and he grabs him, and that's the next scene. Um, then it like... I think it dissolves to like, you know, where is he now? He's like, oh, he's down by the creek walking on water. Walking on water. You know, and then that's also the thing about like, you know, oh, I have plenty of friends. Well, I don't, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, well, a, there's so many. This is like. There's so those, many lines. There's one of these. This is one of those movies that has so many great lines. I mean, we yeah. haven't even talked about the sequence in the, in the, the, the sequence, which is probably one of the best in the movie where it's like. Uh, uh, setting up, you know, after the play, Billy Zane comes in and everybody and the girl, and then like, you know, the, um, the, here comes the fucking cowboys, and you know, hey, listen here, yeah. Kansas City Law Dog, and then there's like, you know, no, where are the king? Five hundred dollars? Like, shut up, Ike, and then like, uh, uh, Johnny Ringo starts fucking with uh, Doc Holliday. Doc Holliday yeah, yeah. fucks with him back, and they start speaking Latin, and then there's a whole thing, of, you know, in vino veritas, and, you know, in wine there's truth, and then they go back and forth of what everything means. And then there's the great sequence where, you know, Michael Bean fucks with him. and, and Which, na- that kind of seemed a little dated for me. At the time, I was like, this is fucking great. When I saw the movie, like, you know, he, he's able to do all these tricks with the gun. Which I guess was 
awesome back in 1881 yeah. or 1880. And then but now everybody can do it. Yeah, now I, I could do that. <laughs> I, I do that all the time on my nine uh, with my gat. But then, you know, uh, it's great that then Doc Holliday retorts with just his fucking shot glass. And it's, and it's almost yeah, like yeah. a fucking slap in the face. And yeah, yeah. So that's a fucking great sequence. So um, why did I even bring that up? Oh, so there's so many great lines in this movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, here's the, I think what the interesting thing is. I think it was something that you and I used to talk about, like what does Huckleberry mean? Oh, yes, yes. This is a, a, a very interesting thing. Now, I found that there's basically two... Yeah, two references two of what, what ba- it could Two mean. things that what could be. Huckleberry... Well, this is actually first to, to go to the accuracy of the movie. This, these are all r- what really were said. Yeah. I'm your Huckleberry is actually what, you know, um, Doc up the uh, yeah, Doc Holliday said so. This is like another thing they threw in the movie. Now, Huckleberry one of which, and I don't, and I don't quite remember why it means this, but it could one of the reasons, and it's the one that's I, I found that people think is most likely the meaning Doc Holliday, which is basically like I'm the man for the job. Yeah, I, I'm your I'm your Huckleberry, meaning that um. Like I'm the best guy for it. Yeah, it's it's it, so when it's, it's a like you want to play like, fight, you want to play for blood. And he says, "I'm your Huckleberry." I mean, I'm like, I'm the, you know, like I'm the, I'm the best one yeah, for it. Because at the time, Mark Twain's uh, Huckleberry Finn book was out, and uh, Tom Sawyer's uh, his his sidekick uh, of uh, Mark Twain had Tom Sawyer, and it's before Huck Finn got his own book. Uh, Huck Finn was Tom Sawyer's uh, side man, so yeah. it's like, "I'm your Huckleberry." He could say, like, you know, "I'm your, I'm the one for the job. I'll be your sidekick, or I'll do the job for you," like yeah, you're yeah. saying. And then there's another more literal reference where they think that he actually they which was like an old Eng- which is like an English term yeah he's which is a hucklebearer yeah I'm I'm your hucklebearer which could which is a different another word for pallbearer yeah you're a ho- you hold the handles on the casket you're yeah. a hucklebearer and and people think that it was he's not really saying huckleberry but he's saying hucklebearer with yeah. a, with a southern accent and people misunderstood it because of his Georgia accent so uh, so he's basically saying like I'm gonna carry your casket yeah I'll fuck yeah either way it's fucking <laughs> awesome. You know I, mean? I mean, that's <laughs> that was a little, even a little more badass. Yeah, it's like I would, I'll like, be your, you know. <laughs> it was just like I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna carry your casket, you asshole. Yeah, I mean, uh, even that scene where I think you first hear that line, where it's like, you know, the next day uh, after the OK Corral shootout, well, not the next day, but the next day in the movie, and you have like, you know, Johnny. R- it's the first time you see Johnny Ringo, like, you know, not holding his character reserved, and he's drunk and it's and that was the that was the one that was so scary yeah. he's almost like a demon when you see like in the trailer where it's like i want your blood and i want your soul yeah yeah you know yeah. and i'm coming for you right now it's like he you know what is uh the uh, docs tells him like he's he wants revenge yeah he's got a pit in his he's got a he's got a hole and then he's like what he's he revenge for he's like for, for being born for being born it's just like so wow it's so badass now there's some there's a, some, a couple other points before we wrap it up i think there's some things uh, i think it's a great script i, I mean I, I think some of it i mean you could say it's a little bit on the nose but in the beginning with the with the priest and the uh well there was supposed to be another sequence there was supposed to be the uh i think it was called the bloody skeleton massacre but since Mitchum got fucked they, yeah. they had to delete that completely from the from but I'm the just story. saying like in terms of script structure and stuff that there's like there's the foreshadow oh yeah yeah which is 
it's, it might be a little bit too on the nose for some people, but I love it. Oh, he's like, like, when he's like, what did he really say? And he's he, like, he said he was a pale horse. He's going you know, to you know, ride. And he's gonna, yeah, <laughs> hell's coming with yeah, him. Yeah, <laughs> Revelations, behold a pale horse, and the rider on that was death, and hell fell, fouled with him. And Which it's, is, uh, you know. Pretty badass. Comes, comes back later with the And ride. it's also, too, in that scene that everyone starts shooting, and Michael Bean, Johnny Ringo, doesn't take his gun out of his holster. So it's even more badass that they shoot everybody, they rape and pillage, but they leave the priest. And the priest is, like, yelling in fucking Spanish. We've always established that he knows Spanish and the only time Bean takes his gun out he kills the fucking priest that yeah. freaks everybody <laughs> well I love <laughs> you know? Powers I love the relationship between Powers Booth and John and uh, Michael Bean it's like well, they, they he just—he's th- he's like he's like he—he he knows like Johnny Ringo's so fucked up, but he just like finds it so funny. Well, I think he's doing it out of uncomfortability. Unca- yeah, you know, he's like trying to make a laugh because he doesn't want to c- come into conflict with him. So I think it's one of these things like who really leads the gang, and Powers Booth is trying to show that he that he does, but at the same time, you know, you don't want Ringo. He, Ringo's a fucking psychopath, yeah. and he doesn't want Ringo turning on him. So he's like, ha, 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 "Who cares? Fuck it, <laughs> yeah, everybody." You know, what, what, you know, it's like that uncomfortable situation where, like, you know, somebody like you know breaks a body, like, ha, 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 "All right," you know. And then it's also weird that they kind of imply that Curly Bill's gay because his his boyfriend's Jason Priestley. He's oh yeah, I guess. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's a, it's a whole thing, and then that's you know, and then it's like Johnny's cool with it too. You know, what would you do? Would you sell yourself? I already did. It's all this badass, you know. Yeah, so many great stuff. And then there's the scene at the end, which I think is, uh, is worth discussing, which is uh, the big the big uh, the big psych out. What you think? Well, no, I'm thinking more of just like the well, it's a beautiful scene, the one between uh, Val Kilmer and and uh, what he's no and uh, Kurt Russell. When uh, uh, oh, he's in death. the hospital. Oh, his death scene. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, it's, it's it's a it's a beautiful scene, and it's almost fucking tear jerking. When he's like, oh yeah, if you ever you know if you ever felt anything for me, whatever you would you would you know leave now and never come back. But then he looks down at his feet and he he laughs and he says it's funny. Um, now that's an actual line. That that's his last words as well. And uh, he said, "I'll be." He says, uh, "What do he say? I'll be goddamn, or I'll be damned." He says, "Yeah, yeah." And the thought process there is that the kind of life that Doc Holliday lived is that he they would say he would be the kind of guy that would die with his boots on. Yeah. That he would be shot. Yeah. <laughs> he, oh, yeah, he thought he, he would fight or... Yeah, the drinking would get to him, the, he the always, gambling. He always imagined yeah. he would die. He was, a, he was a, the kind of guy that would have died with his boots the on. The tuberculosis Which is a, it's some kind of conflict. Yeah. And so when he looks down his feet and he sees that he's laying in bed and then he has no, he's got no shoes on. Yeah. That it's like that. That's like the revelation of like, huh. Yeah, he's like, I'll be damned. But see... When I saw it originally, not knowing that that reference or it explained to me, I always saw it as they set up this whole thing about uh, uh, Bill Paxton's character reading one of the, the spiritual afterlife books. And then when he's dying on the pool table, the billiard table, oh, he yeah, says, yeah. you see that? I don't see a light. Yeah, yeah, I don't and then he anything. dies, and Doc Holliday came across to me as not really like a, uh, a religious person. Yeah, so like I he's always, saying, oh, like, there's the light. Yeah, I'll be I, damned. Yeah, I always thought about that he's seeing the light, and he's like, oh, I'll be damned, you know, that, that there is well, a light. There it is, So yeah. that's how I always interpreted it until re- during research for this. I'm like, oh, he meant... Your interpretation is almost kind of better in a way. Well, that's how I always thought it was, because yeah. they, they do add in... I can't see them just leaving that, like, there is no afterlife. Bill Paxton's on this, he's like, I don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the last word in the uh, in the movie. I, then I thought later on yeah, it's like yeah. to continue the thing. Well, yeah, that's another. Uh, there is another like almost too much on the nose 
foreshadowing. Yeah. You know, which is that discussion of he read a book about spiritualism and that they say you see this light and then when he dies he doesn't see anything. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. The, uh, another thing to play in What If Game in the late 90s, John Carpenter was interviewed and he said he claimed that he almost directed this film, which I didn't know. Uh, he talks about um, very interesting and other things like, wow, who, who knows? Um uh, fucking Russ, the, the Carp again, a, doing a, a freaking a bona fide Western. That's the only mean you went to see a colloquium with Carpenter. And I put my hand up, but he didn't answer. He didn't pick call me. That but son of a bitch. I wanted to say to him, "Why don't you make a? Are you gonna ever make a real Western? Like a not a real Western, but like a an real actual period, a real motherfucking <laughs> Western." Um, let's see the the scene where uh, Billy Zane comes on stage and he and he recites uh, Shakespeare's recite citing Henry V. It is the same passage that. Uh, Dunton Peabody speaks uh, in The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance in 62. It's the same whole thing. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith was slated to do the soundtrack for this, but because of a con conflictual things, yeah. he couldn't do it, so instead he suggested um, the uh, the other guy that ended up doing it. Um, Bruce uh, Burton, Burton, maybe? Burton, to score the film. Uh, freaking Doc Holliday was only 36 when he died. How fucking crazy is that? He died yeah. at TB. He was only 36 years old. Um, there is a director's director's cut of this too because there's other scenes that they after the they, the OK Corral. There's supposedly at night there's a bonfire sequence that all the cowboys are like getting rat rally behind, and there's a shot in the trailer I guess of Booth throwing like a whiskey bottle into that fire, and that's a scene from that. So there's even more that they shot that they didn't put yeah. in for the director sequence. Um. Uh, that scene that we love where he says, you know, tell him hell's coming and I'm coming yeah. and hell's coming with me when he goes fucking apeshit. On the back of the train, the train's number is uh, 5150, and that's the uh, California police code for a crazy person. <laughs> yeah. So it's all these, like, little weird, weird little things. Um, uh, again, just to re reiterate, uh, fucking Stephen Lang. So oh. great. Yeah, movie. you know what? You know, you know I like don't think Stephen Lee gets his fucking due. You fucking hate. Yeah, you know, he's so good. That, <laughs> that scene, just, like, what's wrong with him? He's, he's got, well, I hope you die. <laughs> like, just all those, you know, it's so great. Or, you know, even, like, his lines, like, oh, I, you know, maybe this isn't your game. Let's have a spelling contest. It's just so <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. And, uh, you know, uh, the Billy Bob Thornton scene, especially when he comes out and, he, and Doc's there. And, um, that scene is great. He's just, like, standing there. Oh, he's, oh I forgot you were there. <laughs> <laughs> you may go there. Uh, Frank Stallone. Is, uh, a very, a very, uh, a gr like a proper cameo in there, right? Yeah, yeah. He's you the know? one that gets knifed by, uh, by uh, uh, Doc at the beginning, and that's a great thing. Like, you know, are we game. not friends anymore? I don't think I can bear it. You know, that whole that's a, another great sequence of, uh, of uh, uh, lines. Um, there's just so much to go on about this movie. It's just, it's insane. Uh, we have phone book and phone books of notes for this, um, but. I think we've 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 done enough. Uh, lastly, there was a uh, a photo booth, and I, I guess there there were uh, inaccuracies. Oh, there were some inaccuracies uh, leading up to in in movie versions about the OK Corral sequence. But there was a photo uh, store next door, and uh, one of the it wasn't Ike Clanton; it was the other guy, uh, Claiborne, or um, the, the other gentleman who who ran away. Um, he's the one that ran into the photo store and started shooting back. But in it, you see that uh, uh, Josephine Josie looks like she's posing for a picture, and it's a very famous 
uh, authentically disputed photograph called uh, Coloma, I guess. And they, they were trying to um, it's allude to that it was her, like a near-naked woman yeah. from the time of the time. But it actually, they kind of determined by some sort of copyright date that it was some East Coast showgirl from 1913 or 1914 yeah, who yeah. actually did the photo. But So there's a little throw in there, I guess, for like, you know, historians to be like, hey, hey you know, sure. look, they're, they're, she's actually, they're, they're making a nod to the photo. Uh, and then I think lastly, which is really cool, you think about in the late 50s, you have Adam West. He, uh, he played Doc Holliday in like one or two different TV movies. And then he went on to be Batman. And because of... Uh, uh, Kilmer's portrayal as Doc Holliday in this movie that's what gave what's his face uh, uh, Joel Schumacher. Schumacher the idea to cast him as, as Batman and then as well we have an Elvis connection here because uh, Kurt Russell played Elvis in a TV movie from 1977 which was a Carpenter movie yeah, yeah. he did the voice which I didn't know he did the voice of Elvis in the Forrest Gump movie as well as he played the Elvis impersonator in 3,000 Miles of Graceland. Yeah, yeah. And then we have Val Kilmer showing up as Elvis, who's in Clarence Horley's head in True Romance. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, a couple of other, uh, other casting things. Terry O'Quinn yeah. as Mayor John Klum from Stepfather. And uh, yes. Rocketeer plays John Hughes as yeah, Rocketeer. John, yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, Thomas Arana plays Frank Stilwell. Who's the guy who like shoots the juggler's shit out of his hand? Yeah, he's in a little movie that uh, is the one that remind which we talked about earlier, bringing this way back around to Michael Mann, the keep, where I said the keep reminds me of the church. Yeah, he's placed the lead in the church. He's in the church. Yeah, that's freaking hilarious. So that's a little like, you know, that's way down the alley. That's way, way <laughs> down the alley. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's. Oh geez, uh, yeah, and that was the the sequence I, I was talking about where they actually said that he uh, that that was real, that there was, um, you know, the, the the they actually said that there's like he here professor catch this and he shot yeah, the gun. Yeah. He's like they're shooting at us. That that's all really happened, real dialogue. So there's all kinds of crazy stuff in this movie, and then we can go on and on. I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, so many great scenes. But that's I why mean, the movie's like fucking the, two hours. The confrontation, the final shootout between Johnny Ringo and Val Kilmer. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's because of my age, but at the time when I saw this movie, I had no idea that it wasn't going to be... Uh, uh, they set it up, the, they make they kind of set up through the movie that, uh, you know, Doc Holliday's badass, Johnny Ringo's badass, Johnny Ringo can take anybody, and that's the sequence where you're like, you got to watch out because Johnny Ringo can draw on Wyatt Earp and kill him, but then Doc Holliday could maybe draw and kill Johnny Ringo, and that's why maybe Powers Booth stops him when yeah. he's drunk. He's like, you know, you can't. You yeah, know, you'll yeah. die. So they set that up, and then you realize Johnny Ringo will probably is definitely going to win against Wyatt Earp. And yeah, I well, thought like Wyatt Earp. It, it's also very, you know, it's another like, step, of, you know, another thing of like the heroicism of. Uh, he's like basically Wyatt Earp's going, knowing that he can't beat Johnny Ringo. Yeah, and I don't know how, and I don't know he takes how the fucking Doc long Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Doc Holliday gets there. Doc Holliday freaking like half hour before. Yeah. Doc Holliday, <laughs> Doc Holliday sitting there having a cigarette, waiting for him. <laughs> I mean, right. for Christ's sakes, Doc Holliday's on his deathbed, and then he freaking calls Scotty up and teleports yeah, yeah. over, transports right but over. This, you don't see the scene where he jumps out of bed, throws on That's no pun to uh, Lone Ranger. So uh, what would you give this? Oh, uh, I'll give it a five, man. This is, well, it's historic for us. I mean, yeah. it's important. It's, uh, you know, this has been uh, a movie that's meant a lot to me for a long time. So, um 
just for those reasons, not even quality wise, I'd have to say, I'd have to give it a five. I mean, this is, and it's it's proper sleepover material. And then, like I said, you and I watched, we've watched this movie a couple times on sleepover. Yeah, so the, for us, the it's theatrical and director's <laughs> you know, though you know, uh, there's a very good chance that uh, this might not be sleepover material for for a lot of people. For us, it certainly is. Yeah. Uh, I would think I would give it a uh, like a five too. I mean, this is great, and it, for me, it really ushered in a whole yeah. You know, it's great era. You know, watching it this time with a more critical eye, like I, I do see some of the criticisms of storylines and whatnot. But uh, and it did well at the theater. I mean, it but, came out. Uh, you know, I think it, you know it's great. Yeah, it's I, a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's that hell of a lot of great lines, a lot of great scenes. You got the fucking Russ with a sweet-ass mustache. Yeah, re- everything was... Oh, sir, really? Well, the sweet yeah, ever so, and that, which he's, <laughs> he's kept from, from the rest of the time. Uh, they, all the mustaches were real and all that kind Michael of thing. Michael Bean's fucking awesome. I know. Man. Another, we talk about Stephen Lang, Michael Bean's just as underrated. You know, uh, great, great role. Up, up there with him playing Coffee in the Abyss. It's, it's such a great thing. Uh, this came out... Uh, Christmas Eve, nineteen ninety-three. It grossed fifty-six point five million domestically. It was one of those films that, like, it opened like third opening weekend. Yeah, and then through word of mouth of the week over the week, the fo- the second week, it grossed more money. It was like number two or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and the it's sad. Weekend. It didn't get any. You know, I think even Wyatt Earp was nominated. And I remember one of the first things I learned about this, and I can't attribute to where I learned this years ago, but at the time, you know, it came out six months before Wyatt Earp, and it was one of these things where, like, Deep Impact first, like yeah, Armageddon yeah. or whatever, they were filming at the same time, uh, that Wyatt Earp was such a huge production that Wyatt Earp was using all the oh, yeah, domestic yeah. Uh, costumes uh, in America they had for Westerns. So they had the, the Tombstone people actually had to go to Europe. Yeah. And get all the European period costumes and have them shipped over. Which is over. funny because it's also like the first movie about the OK Corral or whatever about Wyatt Earp like shot in America. Yeah. They shot it in our Most of it shot in Arizona, yeah. which is and obviously very close to where Tombstone And it's is. it's historically accurate and even but the, for yeah, that part. Yeah, the cost, yeah, that 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 Wyatt that the movie Wyatt Earp Coster's movie kind of took up all that uh, took up all the costumes. I think it, I don't know if that's the reason, but I feel like this movie has a really unique look because yeah. of like one set design, you know, art art production and whatnot. But the costumes, um, he just fucking. Uh, Russell just looks so badass. They Especially when badass. you see, and when you see like in, you, you like know, that you, long shot of them walking down the road, and for some reason there's a house on fire in the background. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not needed, but it's almost like they're walking out of hell. But just like even just like you see the shot in the black in like the black and white film footage during the narration of like Russell standing in the street, kind of like he's got the got yeah, the he's got the posture on, on the, the, yeah. And, and then, then you like, don't even notice Holiday there, and it's all it looks. It almost looks they period. Just look, they look fucking and he so has badass. Russell, I mean, he doesn't really do anything with his squint or eyes, but he really, you know, he he has an uncanny resemblance to like a, a period, you know, yeah. uh, Wyatt Earp, which I think is amazing. He kind of looks like him, like a little bit. And I mean, even down to like the revolvers, there were people disputing which one did. You know, they're saying Wyatt Earp would have been using the revolver that Virgil had in the OK Corral sequence, and that one that he takes out that yeah, big yeah. long ass peacemaker. He might have gotten that for Dodge City, but he wouldn't have used that in the scene. But it's interesting how historically accurate they did go and try to. And t- that to, they use the, the that Ringo and and Doc Holliday use the same guns. Like, yeah, it's like that's like the gunfighter's you know, gun. And, and if you go to the Wikipedia page for the actual OK Corral. Shoot out. They talk about how uh, 
how since there's such contention about what really happened that the the Earps testified to say like you know uh, when we when we came around the corner words were said and everyone has to remember the revolvers back then you had to manually cock the revolver before you could fire and every time you'd have to recock it so it's not like nowadays where you you pull the trigger and the hammer goes back you'd have to pull the hammer back so uh, when they came around the corner the 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 cowboys the Clantons cock their weapons and that's when Virgil's you know puts his hand on his gun and says hey this is not what I want and the they had the the technical consultant who did tombstone I forget the gentleman's name he testified that like yes that would have been they sound like they're telling the truth because that would have how likely it would have happened that their guns would have been already cocked and that's the reason why when they drew you know everything went down like that I mean even the end too like you think about how fast that sequence is with Johnny Ringo he's like say when and he fucking he takes the gun out shoots him spins it puts it down doesn't lose the cigarette and Ringo does, doesn't even have the gun bail out of his holster and doesn't even realize what happened because he's still trying to <laughs> he's still trying to and that that amazed me that he still he, he took one in the head and he's still <laughs> you know and then he's and then he's fucking ragging on him. he's like you're, yeah. you're fucking no and I don't know what that means what do you think do you think he's saying you're no daisy does that mean like he's saying you're a pussy like you're you're you know are you a pushover or you know? is it? Uh, or is he? I thought say you're not so bad. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm saying. Maybe yeah. he, you're you're saying you know you're 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 not bad. You're not bad. You know, is he is he fucking insulting him while he's dying? Or Probably. is he? That's I mean, fucking what crazy. You know, it's like you're a great guy. Yeah, you know? <laughs> oh, you maybe you know you you know you, you were you know you could give him some props and say you know <laughs> yeah. hey you, you almost had me. You know, yeah, so, uh, I don't know. So yeah, I said five two uh, recommendation. Oh, you know this. Uh, there's a couple. Uh, one. Um, well, how about you go first? I think well, there's a couple for me too. Well, uh, I would I say think one. We have a mutual one. Yeah, yeah. In common, which uh, which is a movie that you turned me on to, which I absolutely love. Open Range, 2003, Kevin Costner. Amazing. It's it's Duvall. it's one of these one of the reasons why I like Michael Mann. I don't know why we keep bringing Michael Mann back into this conversation. I remember when you you had seen the movie before me, and you're like the shootout. In that it's like the shootout in, in fucking heat. Yeah, <laughs> that's the reason because Michael Mann. One of the things I love about Michael Mann is he uses diegetic sound in all his shootouts. He purposely puts shootouts in his movie, and he puts the sound effects of the guns on set. They don't yeah. dub later any sound. So what you hear, the echoes and the noises, is what you would hear in a shootout. And in the end of Open Range, like the last half hour is the shootout. It's yeah, long. Yeah. And every gu- it so- everything sounds like how it would sound there, and it's fucking awesome. And then you add in like the, the, the DTS surround sound yeah, or whatever yeah. you have now. I don't know what the fuck they call it now. But at the time, like when this Tombstone Special Edition came out, it was DTS 5.1. I was like, it's amazing, the sound. <laughs> and then this was DTS, so it's like it yeah, sounds yeah. fucking great. And it's a great it's a great story. And what's his face? Michael Gambon is great in it. As you know, I didn't come all the way here from Ireland to be my land to be pissed upon yeah. by free grazers. So it's a fucking great. One of the other movies I was going to mention because I thought that you might pick Open Range. Um, <laughs> Bastard. Is, uh, and it's, I'm not even going to say it's great. It's, there's a movie that came out in 1998 called Gunslinger's Revenge. Oh, wow. Now, it's, uh, it's, a, it's flawed. And Harvey Keitel's in it, which is like a complete miscast. But David Bowie's in it. I bring it up because of you know he just died yeah. kind of recently, and he's been kind of a he's got he's been kind of brought up in the last couple of casts because we did Labyrinth, and then we brought we talked about his death uh, at, on our last Night episode, Center, opening a Night Stalker. David Bowie is so fucking good in this movie. Yeah, he plays 
like uh, plays like a cowboy, and he's got like the fucking southern accent and everything. He's it's really a lot of people forget that he was like a badass actor. He's it's you know? such a he we- played Punch's pilot. We seen last Temptation yeah, of yeah. Christ. And he's it's uh the movie is not great, but he's he's great in it and really interesting to watch. Yeah. So I bring that up just because of the whole David Bowie thing, and in terms of western, that you know I would. I would if I was going to pick another western aside from the ones we talked about a million of them just because it's uh, a movie that not a lot of people have seen 1968 spaghetti western called Johnny Hamlet and it's like the retelling of William Shakespeare's Hamlet wow. but in like western terms uh if you can find it it's I think even my copy I think I bought my copy as a bootleg at Midtown Comics when they wow. used to sell bootleg DVDs um and I just it, it's it's a weird spaghetti western that I just love. I I just I like that movie a There's lot. So and many nobody weird... really knows that. And that's why I bring it up as kind of a recommendation because it's one that I don't know anybody that's seen it besides yeah. me. It's so. like it's like before Django came out. I saw Django in high school, and, and the original Django is very different. Where it's like a guy. It's m- m- very much like Desperado or Romeo where yeah, it's yeah. a guy who drags a coffin behind him, and, and it has all these weapons, and he just kills a shitload of fucking people yeah, so yeah. basically Quentin Tarantino didn't really remake the movie he just took the well, name that's the same with like Inglorious Bastards yeah he didn't it's nothing even, like yeah the, that, that's the, like the, uh, the original Inglorious Bastards it's like Kelly's Heroes meets their Dirty Dozen were that's why yeah it's another reason anyway but um <laughs> uh, so I thought you were gonna do the uh there's another pretty well famous spaghetti western um fistful of dynamite aka you better uh, duck sucker uh, du- duck you sucker duck yeah. you sucker which it has in which it, is a leone western yeah and it has in it rod stagger who's doing his best playing he's playing like the uh eli wallach mexican he's like you're dirty bastard <laughs> you son of a bitch and then what's his face james colburn's in it it's pretty badass too that's a great one everyone knows the three great score too yeah i mean it might be in you know, right? i mean uh, yeah Morricone did you know all those great scores but it's a great because it's a lesser known movie yeah. than the Eastwood and westerns it's the score is lesser known but it's a and you know everyone is, to say a couple things about that uh everyone always says like you know that's the yeah, from yeah. fistful uh from good to bad and the ugly is like the best score i personally think again we, we were bringing up for a few dollars more i think that score out of the, those trilogies is freaking great yeah and then his we have to make mention of his uh once upon a time in, a, in the west that oh. score is i mean when each, she shows up to town and then it's like on the train oh, and then Jesus. the crane shot comes up over the from the train over yeah. the town and sees her and then the, that sweeping music comes in well it, it's amazing that everybody has their own song or melody and, and I, it's yeah like, and i see the jason robard score like for right now like right now i've been I've been I've been I've been binge watching Chuck, yeah, which was a like I think an NBC show from a couple years back. Um, like just say it was a it, it's a silly show, but it's perfect for like you're getting ready for you know to go to bed. It's kind of mindless. And uh, Adam Baldwin plays this character named John Casey in it, and John Casey's theme, at least for like the third season, is a total fucking rip off of Jason Robards' theme. That's great. <laughs> That's a it has, time in the West. I mean that. Ha- I mean let's say and of course the yeah, Hermanos Brothers. Yeah, that that right. is amazing. The how gross that sounds. But for me, I love fucking Henry Fonda's badass because the beginning of this thing. Uh, the, the, his his 
gang kills this whole family but leaves the if you guys have never seen for for for, for uh, once upon a time in the west well, first a lot yourself a, a chunk of time because it's long as it, shit. it is long as shit it doesn't get that boring i think it's i think it's it holds up it's good and and, and henry fonda is a fucking everybody's amazing in it but the beginning of the movie after the initial sequence of of you meeting child heston uh this whole family's gunned down in front of their house and the only one that's left is like this eight-year-old boy uh, you said Heston. Oh, I'm sorry, Charles. Got, got tubes on sorry, brain. Sorry. Uh, when you meet Charles Bronson. So the next scene is like this whole family's shot down in front of their house. And it's just the one that survives this little boy. And all of a sudden, out of like the, the freaking wind and the, 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 the tumbleweeds, you see these dudes with these, these tall ass dudes with these duster trench coats yeah, on. Yeah. And the music is so haunting. It's like this electric guitar, <laughs> yeah, but it perfectly yeah. suits. You think, how would you put an electric guitar in a Western, but it suits? And then they all come out and they kind of, you know, like they're, it's like High Plains Drifter where they're like, they're like ghosts coming in. Yeah, and then all yeah. of a sudden, you see Hen Henry Fonda's character, and it's like these really uncomfortable close-ups that Leone likes to do yeah. and Henry Fonda has these brilliant blue eyes that are like so mesmerizing and that's why people used to say he was the greatest like um, you know good guy in, in, in movies and he's looking down at this kid and he's got a kind of smile on his face with this theme and uh, you're thinking like what's he going to do is he going to kill the kid and then <laughs> and then he kind of smiles and you're like oh he's not going to kill the kid and then like his partner says like you know Red what are we going to do with the kid and then then uh, uh uh, Henry Fonda suddenly stops and he loses the smile and then he looks at his partner he looks back at the kid he's like well now that you said my name and then it just close up of the kid's face and then just a close up of Henry Fonda whipping the gun out and it blasts right into the fucking frame and that's the end of the scene you're like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> and that's his first appearance the movie is so badass but my recommendation uh, talking about westerns is I brought up um, uh uh, Jimmy Stewart and Anthony, Anthony Mann before directors, they did a slew of movies together, which is really, really good, but I think the most famous one is called uh, Winchester 73. It's from 1950. It's black and white, but it's really fucking awesome. Uh, back in the day, uh, Winchester repeating rifles, that they basically won the Civil War, and I think uh, they won the war against the Indians, as well as they won the Civil War because it was one of the first rifles that uh, was done on the assembly line in, in New Haven in the Western Winchester Company. There was a year called uh, 19, 1873 where they supposedly made the perfect rifle, Win, uh, Winchester rifle. And in this movie, they, they, they get the perfect rifle, the 73, and it's up for auction in this town. And everybody from around the town comes into the town to, to do this contest, this shooting contest. And whoever wins the shooting contest wins the rifle. And Jim Stewart comes into town. It's one of these towns that you have to take the gun off when you, when you get into town. So he takes the gun off. He walks into the bar. He sees a guy across the way. Both him and the guy go for their guns, but there's nothing there. So they hit the belts. And the sheriff's next to Jimmy Stewart. And he's like, whoa. He's like, you know, you know John Smith? And then and he's like, yeah, but I don't know him from that. I don't know him with that name and you know there's some animosity built up they go through they have the tournament at the beginning of the movie jimmy stewart wins he gets the gun he leaves town and he gets mugged they beat the shit out of him they take the gun and then he's like fuck it i'm going after him and yeah, then that's yeah. that's the plot of the movie he wants the fucking the gun back you know Great. When, I, when i was growing up uh after philadelphia the albany area which you came up it's captain video captain video and that's where we had a little by substitute we had, we had a we had a little blog going on for a short time in the beginning of saturday night movie sleepovers which maybe we'll get back to i would do the five for five yeah which is you would get five movies for five dollars for five nights yeah that's what i think we just did a five for five <laughs> Did we? Let's see. Winchester so if you did two, if you did Tombstone, Gunslinger's Revenge, Open Range, 
Johnny Hamlet and Winchester seventy three. That's five. You got five for five. Five dollars. Five movies for five nights. Wow, right there. That's crazy. It's a western yeah. long weekend. And then if you want to do uh, extra credit, we 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 named Once Upon a Time in the West, and certainly. If you guys are Eastwood fans or you heard about Spaghetti Westerns, we cannot emphasize enough watching. Yeah, it's, I feel like for a few dollars more is uh, the one that gets overlooked. And, and it's and so from, from awesome. our from our, uh, you know, from our position, it's the, it's the best I one. I mean, Jean-Marie Avalanche is so good in it. Eastwood's oh, fucking awesome. The score's great. That's that, it's, uh, it's so haunting to watch. And I think that's been used so much now, that watch... Uh, idea through the thing and it's the, well yeah the way it's used and the music is and then you, the so whole great. you know you think about like who these characters and how they related then at the end of it they're able to tie up why um, Lee Van Cleef the bounty hunter is related to the bad guy and then how Eastwood's involved and then there's a uh, a classic standoff, which you see again at the, in the cemetery at the end of Good, Bad, and the Ugly, but they do it here, and it's it's and there's a lot of like sick comedy in it, which is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, know, a couple of years ago, I interviewed Alan Jones, who's a film critic writer, yeah. and he wrote he literally wrote the book on Argento, uh, which has now been republished with different titles as it gets updated. The original one was called Profundo Argento, and uh, he was telling me about how when he he met. A new Morricone because Morricone uh, scored Argento's first couple of movies, but then he came back and scored uh, one towards the end, maybe Senthal Syndrome. But he met a new Morricone. He's like, "Oh, Mr. Morricone, like I'm such a big fan of yours." And Morricone's like, "What's your favorite?" Oh, jeez. And uh, Alan, it was like, uh, "Once upon a time in the West." He's like, "Oh, you're one of those." <laughs> Really, <laughs> like everybody says that. Wow, like, like everybody says that one. And yeah. he's like, and and he was telling me, he's like, oh, I've, you know, he's like, now I think about, it, I wish, I, you know, I should have said something else. And he's like, if, if Morricone asked asked you, I would, I would ask me that question. I would probably say for a few dollars more. Yeah, or I'd throw like a real fucking curveball and be like, the thing. Yeah, <laughs> I would say I love him in the Untouchables. So, dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. I love that the 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 Palma he scored that that's very uh on the piano it's very awesome so uh yes that's our first western great great times had by all we hope people like westerns out there because if you do don't a little history lesson yeah you know about the movie hopefully we, that didn't bore you too much we like to educate stuff a little complaining about film screenings and a little t- little a lot of talking about Michael Mann for some yeah and we love we love ourselves <laughs> some complaining about screenings and uh and and culture nowadays how people are fucking assholes but, uh, fucking but we bold. digress now it's late sounds coming up but that's the subtitle the of our chirping. Of our of our podcast, but we digress. So this is big digression. But anyway, check us out on uh, Facebook. Check us out on iTunes. Check us out on Stitcher. Check us out on Twitter. Check us out on um, uh, Poddroid. Check us out on Player FM. Check it's us out Saturday at our website. That's our website address. You can Google Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Also, come join me if you like horror movies and you like scores. We're talking about Morricone. Yeah. i got a Facebook page called Scored to Death, which is the title of my upcoming book about horror movie scores. Yeah. So come join the fun on there. Uh, fun had by all. You could get updates on the book, and I, talk, you know, I post a lot of things about movie scores and horror movies and whatnot. So yeah. come join the fun there. In addition to our regular Facebook page, which is... Always have a great community going on there. Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers podcast. People, some people who've joined us on Facebook don't realize we actually have a podcast. <laughs> so we've just spoke so for we, over two so and a half hours for no reason. 
<laughs> that's why we put podcast right in the name of the Facebook It is, page. you know, it is a thing, and we, you know, we do fun stuff on there. We share articles that we think are cool, interesting. Sometimes, you know, maybe five percent of the time, they might not even be about movies necessarily, but we're like, hey, this is cool. Well, you may like this, and people dig it. Tell a friend. Uh, let us know. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Sat Sleepovers and. Uh, Share uh, share our links, retweet us. You can message us, give us some recommendations. Let us know what we you like. We always love hearing like. from the fans. Yeah, it's it's really good. We we have a great audience, and we love hearing from our our listeners. Um, you know, uh, what you like, what you don't like, and what you think about a certain movie. And if you have any recommendations, because it really humbles us that we have a big audience of listeners that 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 really you know take the time and listen to us yeah, and message us. And you know, the so, as we always say, so many great movies, so little time. We wish we could get to more recommendations but there are, are requests yeah um but we try to get to one every every couple of every, yeah every and it's hard because it's a bi-weekly podcast and we do have day jobs so it's like today you know we're working on like 12 hours of you know work and then we're doing this so we're not gonna sleep no. tonight so <laughs> the sun's up we can hear my parents Just upstairs walking around get a uh yeah get an egg McMuffin and get an egg McMuffin. i'm gonna try to find myself a, a, a cheese danish somewhere those bastards <laughs> That's for another podcast. We talked about that, but um, check us out. Listen to our older cast too. We got a lot of other stuff from when we started out that um, are really great. If you just recently come in, go go to our uh, our, our website saturdaysleepovers.podwits.com, or even if you know whatever uh, podcast aggregate you're getting us off of, go check out our beginning stuff because we do a lot of fun fun stuff, and we have some fun stuff coming up too, which is going to be very exciting. Uh, you know, we're going to be making people weep and cry and jump for joy it's gonna be fun <laughs> yeah we're, we're kicking it we're kicking it in you know so uh thanks very much and uh we'll see you in two weeks and uh you know uh i guess as hank williams used to say if god will and the creeks don't rot rot and if the creeks don't rise we will see you next week later later